welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio, but tonight there is no Owen McIntyre. He is on a plane, he is headed to Daytona. I believe this is his first trip to Daytona. He's going down there to check out the reptile show and I think maybe go to the Southeast Carpet Fest uh, meeting that they're doing down there. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, Owen had to uh, get on a plane in the middle of the night. So we gave him a break and Rob is here uh, to hang out with me. And uh, we're talking with Ryan Young. So what's up, Rob? How you doing? I'm good, man. Glad to be here, fun as always, and super excited to talk to Rhino because, uh, you know, you guys have had him on twice by himself and once with Nick and Mark, and I haven't been on any of those times. So always good to talk to Ryan and uh, glad to be here. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you know, Ryan just uh, as of, I guess he just finished it not too long ago, but um, he build a wing onto his reptile room. I guess that's the best way to say it. Uh, and right. uh, it looks like it. a side in the back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, side, you know, extra space L shape. Yeah. So we're going to talk to him about that, you know, uh, what he did, uh, what goes into uh, building a reptile room. And uh, I'm curious to hear if there's any like uh, modern tech that he uh, put into there and, you know, like uh, what's the things you have to think about ahead of time? Because as you know, Rob, I'm, I'm going to be doing that soon. Um, and uh, okay. of course we're going to, we'll be talking to uh, Ryan about all things pythons because uh, you know, that's what uh, he specializes in. So uh, yeah, we're hit on uh, white lips and walnuts and I'm sure green trees and, whatever else he's got going on this year. So should be awesome. Uh, what's up with you, man? How you been? Yeah, not too much. I'm, I'm interested in hearing about that with the, uh, you know, I tell you what, man, I don't know, compared to my stuff and maybe what's going to happen with yours, that looks pretty high rent with the polished cement and all that stuff. So it looks great. So I'll be super interested to hear about it. Um, I hatched out three questions of rhinos and um, nice. Puerto Rican bow looking better and better by the day. Yeah, well, I mean, she's just growing and growing by the day. I think something like a month or six weeks left. They just take uh, take a long time, and it'll be cool, man. Yeah, definitely, definitely enough to keep me busy for sure. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are one. I mean, I'm not really a boa guy, but those in particular, um, I really dig them. They have a pretty cool look to them. Uh, but uh, they're pretty uh, yeah, they're, scrub-like. They're you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> sort, sort of. They have that, uh, right? That's that's the thing with them. They're dark. They're not a, a super flashy one compared to the southern mm-hmm. stuff especially. But um, right. they're just really personable. You know, you just you see them and they, they do this stuff. They're funny. They don't really shit on you, but they'll try and bite you in the face. That's their thing. Um, right. When when they're bad, most of them aren't that bad. But if they're going to try and bite you, they'll try and bite your eyes, um, which is not unique to them, but it is sort of that's their story for sure. Um, and then when they're little, they'll just they hide under the substrate and they'll sort of they're like the things from Dune where they'll pop out and just sort of come flying out. You know, it's a Kenyan sandbar <laughs> or something. Nice. Uh, that's cool. Um, 
I guess before we get Ryan on, I'll do uh, a couple housekeeping things. Um, in case anybody's interested, uh, hit up Ian Bissell because they're doing a, a meeting for the Southeast Carpet Fest uh, down in Daytona. Um, I'm not I'm not exactly sure of the details, but hit Ian up and and he'll be able to uh, point you in the direction if you want to get on their uh, committee. Um, I think they have a committee of what, like twelve. We have a committee of three. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be at the same place again. Uh, if um, you know, Dave's going to open uh, up his place again. You know, we'll see. But uh, hopefully, I can make it down. I don't know. It's going to be tricky with uh, depending on the date they pick uh, with Australia. Yeah. So. You know, sorry, Southeast Carpet Fest. Right? I think. Well, there was there was taught last year. It was in February, I think. So if it's then, I'm good. Right. That's what I thought. But if if they do it before 2019, um, that could be trouble. So, so there's that. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, There was something else that I was supposed to hit on, but I can't remember. So. I guess it wasn't that important. <laughs> ah, shit. This, this is why I write this stuff down. But uh, right. I don't know, man. Let's. Uh, you ready to get Ryan on here? We'll get it going or oh, what? Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure, why not? Enough of us babbling. Hey, Ryan, welcome back to Morelia Python Radio. Glad to have you. How you been, man? Oh, pretty fair yourself. Can't complain, man. man. Ready to talk talk about building a snake room, you know? <laughs> Oh, well, it uh, can be a challenge, but well worth it. Yeah, so what, I guess we'll start at the beginning. I mean, what exactly, obviously you were doing it for more space, or were you adding species, or what prompted you to make the addition? Um, Well, I had, when I bought this house, um, I still owned my previous house, so it was kind of a nerve-wracking situation to have to cover two mortgages potentially. And so I slapped the room together that my snakes are, uh, had been in for the last 10 years. Um, I put it, put it together in a couple weeks and, um, it just didn't really hold up that great. The, I had some aquatic turtles for a while in there and the humidity really, really trashed the drywall and it just, uh, wasn't holding up that well. And then, Obviously, wanting more room is <laughs> everybody's <laughs> problem. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, I didn't. I don't really want a ton more snakes, um, but I just wanted to have a little more space to do basically the stuff I already had. So. Okay. Are you gonna pull everything to from that room time. into the new room, or are you gonna and then rework that, or what's the plan there? Uh, yeah, I've already moved everybody from the one room um, into that. I'm going to demo that old room and repurpose it for a new baby room area. Okay. That would be a big baby room. The baby room that I have is tiny. So. Okay. Wow. Okay. Cool. Now, do you, you breed your own rodents too, right, Ryan? I did for years. Um, last year when I was working on the building, I just wasn't, between having the two kids and building the building, I didn't have time for it, so I uh, stopped okay. reading the rodents, and I haven't started back up yet. So, Did you do that in that same building, or was that a um, somewhere else? 
Yeah, no, the rodents were in the front part of the building, so it was the same okay. building. Okay. So I still have so that get... room sitting there empty. Well, I guess it's still the <laughs> stuff, but <laughs> it's there. Cool. So what I mean, how how did you start this? Did you did you have it mapped out? What was the planning behind it? Um, well the hardest thing was to decide there obviously when you have a big collection you can't I would have liked to have just remodeled where they were at, but that's pretty hard to do with several hundred <laughs> snakes. So there wasn't sure. any options. I had a lean to on the side of the building that I had contemplated uh, just closing in. It would have been cheaper doing that, but it, it's only about nine feet wide uh, and 36 feet long. So it would have been, the length would have been nice, but the width would have been, it would have gotten pretty tight in there. And that's where we parked over the winter and stuff. So ultimately I decided I didn't want to give up that space. So the next logical thing was, I already have power and water to that building, so instead of just building an entirely new building, I just bumped off the back of it, 12 feet. Right, gotcha. so there was a big pad underneath that whole, that extant building, right? So you had a, you had built that building, but it was on a big pad. The building was already there. The new section is all new concrete. Okay. I had to put the post on oh, the ground okay. and then uh, frame it into the old section okay so it wasn't I, I was looking at those pictures thinking wow it was just this giant pod that was you know only no. used or something no it was dirt <laughs> it was yard <laughs> so basically i just what we by uh, frame construction i just had to sink four posts into the ground um three feet and then uh my neighbor happens to be a concrete guy so he poured my slab. I put two inches of insulation under it first. Um, then he poured the slab, and then we did all the framing and roof and all that afterwards. Right. So, and then Steve helped you with the floor? What was that? And then Steve helped you with the floor? Oh, <laughs> yeah, Flair, he, uh, he has the mad skills for running the buffer machine. <laughs> <laughs> that thing was whooping my behind, man. I'll tell you what. And uh, I was complaining to him one night, and he goes, "Oh, I, I ran one of those a bunch. I can probably help you." He came down, and man, he just fired it right up and was running it like an old hat. And I said, "When was the last time you do this?" And he goes, "Oh, it was like, I don't know, in the '80s." <laughs> oh gosh! I was like, "Oh man, you're fired right up." So that was pretty funny. Yeah, he really saved me on that one. He had the mad skills for the buffer. Right on. Sorry, Eric. Go so, ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, well, we're talking about the floor. You said it's insulated. Is it? Did you put heat in it, or did you just No, I it? didn't do heat. Okay. No, I just put uh, rigid styrofoam down. Okay. All right. I, just, um, um, I looked at doing heated floors, but mm-hmm. I don't – I. Me, personally, I think that the way concrete heats up, once it's heated up, it it really holds its temperature. And so I don't think trying to get a decent night drop in the winter, um, I think you'd play, you'd have a really hard time getting a decent night drop with a heated floor. But 
I could be wrong, but that was my fear about doing it. Gotcha. Hmm. That makes sense. So um, what made you go? I mean, is it just, it's just concrete, right? Just like polished concrete? Is that what you have on the bottom? Yeah, on the they floor? just uh, did a standard four-inch slab and then uh, trying to decide how to finish it. I was thinking about doing epoxy and different stuff like that, but ultimately I just decided to get a do-it-yourself uh, diamond polish kit for a concrete. And so we had to grind, uh, what was it, four or five different grits uh, and then use hardener and, and uh, dye at the end. So hmm. It took a little okay. bit. <laughs> all in all, from, I mean, it's what it's was really it what to finish time-wise? Time uh, I started the building, what was it, last spring. Um, and then I was trying to pay for it as I go, so it took me the better part of a year to get it done. Gotcha. Okay. I didn't want to, and the other thing was I wanted, I've done enough snake rooms, um, to know what I wanted. And so (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't willing to, I could have gone cheaper routes in quite a few areas, but I didn't want to get it done for the sake of getting it done. I wanted to get it done how I wanted it. So took my time. Well, that's probably the best way to go, right? <clears throat> Make sure you get it exactly so. how you want it. Yeah. So I mean, do you I mean, I'm 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 assuming you're taking into the into consideration when you're doing this that, you know, I think for the most part you do a lot of ambient heat, right? So how are you heating yeah. the room? Just space uh, heaters? So far with just one uh well, I use two oil-filled heaters, one set on low and one set on medium. Um, they're on one circuit. My old room, I needed two, but it wasn't insulated as good. Um, so this room, I only needed one to keep it warm. Okay. Or one circuit, 1,500 watts worth. Oh, wow. Okay. Is that, do you have that, I guess, on a thermostat and all that kind of, all that? Is that built in? Yeah, it's, you... yeah it's all wired in um, to a Johnson's A419 thermostat. Man, how sweet is that? How sweet would that be, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> no reading here, yeah, for sure. Man. Right. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I guess you is have... What was that? Is the room plumb? Plumb? I can't. Yeah, I can't see it in the picture. Is it plumb? Do you have a sink and stuff? Sink and oh no, there's a sink. If you gotta um, go to the bathroom. No, there's no. There's a sink in the garage portion of it. Um, and okay. that's in the rework of the old space. There'll be a big. I will put in like a big. Uh, one of those, like commercial Industrial stainless sinks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm still recovering <laughs> from building this one. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to pitch you to go to Oz in the spring, and you sound a little bit, uh, you know, I, I can imagine, man. <laughs> yeah, it adds up pretty quick. Yeah, no doubt. I know Eric's looking at that stuff, so is there any – can you speak to that at all in terms of – so he already has the – well, you describe it better than I can, Eric, but certainly the floor already exists. He's basically converting your garage. So he's trying to figure out 
what he can take from yours and turn it into, you know, take his lesson for his and what that will involve. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the biggest thing I would I would say is the spray foam insulation is probably uh, that's probably the one thing the best choice as far as my old snake room would get um, up to like 87 was the hottest I ever saw it in the summertime. And this room, we've had a few days um, well into the hundreds this year, and the hottest I've seen this room was 84. Wow. That insulation pays for itself pretty quick, I think. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just a matter of you're just spraying it right in on there, right? Steady. Um, I didn't do it. I hired a local company to spray it in. They show oh, okay. up with a big truck, and it's a two-part chemical. It has to have a certain reaction yeah. sprayed. Gotcha. I think I mean, here is you're either going to have to build out the wall further, put some drywall further, and then they can spray it in, or you're going to have to rip out the wall that's there now and fill it. Yeah, yeah, I gotta say, I mean, I I'm curious. I would like, worry about Ryan. the inside though, just the outside. Okay. Yeah, what's the uh, like? Did you map it out as far as like you know you knew exactly where your cages were gonna go and your racks and all that kind of stuff? I mean, did you know exactly um, how this room? I had an idea based on you know what I'm working with, but as far as the footprint for the building, I was kind of limited to making it match with the building I already have. So, you know, I basically went the whole width of the back of the building, which is 34 feet. um, And then I went out 12 feet because that's the most economical uh, size to build. You know, if you start going 14, 16 feet, you're starting material. Partial pieces and stuff. Yeah. Which doesn't really, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't gain you a ton because you're only gaining, you know, four feet on two walls versus if you right. did lengthwise, then you gain more. So. Okay. But what about as far a- as uh, knowing, once I had the room and the door was kind of positioned where it had to be positioned to get in and out of the old building, um, mm-hmm. that would have been, I guess, nice to be able to move that somewhere else. But at the end of the day, it was... The easiest place to put it was where it went. So. <laughs> <laughs> huh. What about as far as uh, lighting and stuff? I mean, just uh, recessed lighting in the ceiling? No, I went with uh, these LED spherical lights. They're, all, they're nearly flush mount. They only stick down like an inch. Um, okay. I got them off eBay. They're day white bulbs. Um they're supposed to last, you know, for a long time. And they weren't terribly expensive, and they really lighted up in there. Do yeah. you run light cycles with your stuff generally? I see that there's a couple win- windows on either side as well. But Yeah, the, the timer's set can... on 12, uh, 12 hours on, 12 hours off. The, uh, the reality is in the summertime, they're getting more light than that because we have long days sure. and short nights. And then in the winter... Do you have windows in the room now? Yeah, there's two windows, one on each side. Okay. One of them is pretty small. It's uh, just a little... I think it's 18 by 36, and the other one's 48 by 36. 
Okay. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So what about, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about is like, have you incorporated any kind of like uh, new tech into there? Like, can you like look on an app on your phone and see what your room is and all that kind of stuff? And it's all... <laughs> nah, I, I, I didn't do any of that stuff. That kind of stuff I can do anytime. Okay. So right. They, you just have I... to get those temperature modules and apps and stuff. Not a terrible big deal. Okay. Yeah, Eric's you plan. that stuff, man. He's got all those things going. Yeah, man, <laughs> make it automated, you know? That way it's all the, you know, you can I do hear it. You. The, yeah. the, the uh, you know, for some reason you're stuck the out. way the hard way. Sure. Yeah, man, you're stuck out and you can't get to your snake room to turn the lights off or the heat down or whatever. It's all, whoop, does it itself, you know? Oh, yeah, it'd be nice. Definitely. Yeah, that's cool. Um. What about as far as, uh, you know, I, the one thing that, that that I'm always thinking about is electric, you know, like thinking plugging racks in or cages or whatever, making sure that you have, uh, you know, enough power. Yeah, I definitely mapped that out. That was once I knew how the room was going to be and how I was going to put cages and I did all the math and uh figure out how many circuits I needed. Okay. So, that I definitely but it's a little bit reduced, right? Because you do the the room based heat for the most part, say it's gravity female, right? So it's not it's not so much oh well this rack's pulling, you know, one fifty or two hundred or whatever. Right, pretty much. But they I still uh I wired the room so I could run every basking spot if I wanted to. Oh nice. Uh, there's, I think, um, I think there's seven or eight circuits for the room. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap, man. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, all right. How much is easier to do? How much of that is easier to do because it's a new build or a new build onto what exists than it would be for Eric to retrofit what he has? When you say retrofit, are you trying to do it with your animals already in there? Mm-mm. No, I mean relative to the the room exists, right? So the space exists as opposed to building up the space around what you want to do. Oh well, it's, then it's a lot easier because you your footprint is decided for you for the most part, and so then you just have to try to figure out the most efficient layout, and then you know run your power and water and whatever else you're going to. And you ran the power external, right? It's not in the wall. It's it's running. On top. Um, I ran the the wiring, the light circuits, the two um, the two outlets that are controlled by the A419 for the oil filled heaters is in the wall. Um, and then the four, the other four circuits for just plugging cages in, I ran in conduit outside the wall. Right. What's the status in your room right now, Eric, in, ter- in terms of that extra space that's going on in there? There's some outlets, right? But is it, And it must be external. I don't even know yeah, if it's on the outside. Um, is it? On that, uh, what, north wall no. or whatever? On the outside wall? No, it's not. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is, actually. It's just the bottom half is, uh, like, concrete block. The bottom half is it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it'd have to come out, well, you know. 
it's I like a two my outlets high off the ground. So <laughs> yeah, that's what I was. You know, I was thinking the same thing because you know it's a pain in the ass in my other room. You have like I would say they're probably like mid mid height. But even still, like when you're running it, like if you're running it off a, a Vision uh, 41 quart tub, you know the the, uh, the thermostat sits all the way up in the front, and you got a cord that has to run all the way down, and then usually it like gets pulled back, and you know, so if it's like if the outlets were higher up, you'd be able to plug it in a lot easier. I don't know. Yeah, I think I went six foot six with mine. Okay. So that I could push the bottom racks all the way up against the wall, and then the cages that sat on top of them would be in front of the wiring. So I noticed that you ran, like, what is that? It's it almost looks like when we're setting up a supermarket, the racking that we used to put like uh, back <laughs> oh, the stock product on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that cages yeah, on there or is. racks? It's uh, there's racks. Basically, in, I guess, my time keeping snakes, I've realized the two biggest things I hate, and that is cages down low and racks up high. So <laughs> I I opted to uh, just put all my racks along the bottom. So the first four feet of the room is my ARS racks. Um, and they kind of, they're a weird size. They're like 50, 56 inches wide, I think. Um, which always caused an issue building cages because it's not there's really not a lot available at 56 inches. So I decided to go with uh, 10 foot span pallet racks, and then it would sit two ARS in each bay, and then it would give me a 10 foot slot in the middle that I ha- I don't have any cages for that yet, and then I got another 10 foot spot for green pythons and emeralds all across the top. So it's 30 feet roughly uh, with the three bays. That's nice. cool, man. Yeah, those are big uh, big racks. I was looking at those from the picture and saying that, yeah, that's, that's bigger than the six-foot standard stuff. Yeah, that's uh, they're 120-inch. Um, ironically, it's not very easy to find pallet racks that aren't fluorescent orange. <laughs> It's, uh, really? <laughs> it actually it actually took some doing to get the to get gray uh pallet racks and I didn't want the uh most pallet racks are made really heavy duty for putting, you know, really big heavy yeah. duty yeah. pallet stuff and the smallest you can get is two and a half inches. So trying to find a ten foot, two and a half inch beam in gray is ironically <laughs> very difficult. <laughs> So I, I can imagine. A, a local company had to custom order those for me from a manufacturer in California. So. Wow. Okay. Now, is that what you use okay. in your other room, or is that something new that you came up with? That pallet uh, rack. That is something. That is something. In my other room, I just welded up um, little racks for the top of my rack, so that I could put one cage on top of each rack. And that's what I mean. Oh, okay. Fifty-four inches was a real pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was my biggest. Like this is what I want. I know I hate racks over my head, and I hate cages below my waist. So <laughs> that was. Uh, that's so true, man. <laughs> Remember, uh, Rob, that Darwin man. Oh yeah, that rack you got a lower man. That yeah, Darwin carpet would have been much easier. <laughs> 
<laughs> Shooting straight down at your head. Oh, man. Yeah. I was bleeding like a stuck pig all over the place, man. Yeah, that would have been um, – that's that's actually a really good idea. I'm, I might steal that one. <laughs> so well, it's, uh, it works out good. So um, yeah, I, I, sh- I shared the – go ahead, Rob. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just getting my, – my question out of that. So, Ryan, does everything that you have fit in that room under this new configuration? Uh, every big snake that I have, but I still have a baby room. Right. And there's, not, a, there's not, a bunch of stuff. Uh, bunch of babies that uh-huh. are still need to get moved in so, that are not babies That's anymore. Cool, <laughs> oh, yeah, so okay. far I've still got a lot of empty, but I'm sure as uh, everybody with a – Snake obsession knows sure. that it won't last long. Well, that's the worst <laughs> thing you can have is empty space, man. Yeah, See? well, the sad part is I don't even need to buy anything to fill it. I just put the stuff from my <laughs> baby room in my big room, and then I'll, I'll be full. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine with all the, like, I mean, I know as far as ball pythons go, you're doing, like, you know, double and triple recessive morphs. Uh, that requires a lot of holding back, I would imagine, right? I mean... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, quite a few. I don't have as many ball pythons as I used to. Um, I've definitely gotten, I wanted all my ball python females to fit in one of those 10 foot days. And I think I've got that except there's five in one of the other racks. So I'm pretty close to keeping them at the, <laughs> so I wanted that 10 foot space. So that's the ball pythons. So. <laughs> and that's it. Okay. Man, for some reason, I thought I you the had... The gap is there between the, the the top level and that, that mid-level. Obviously, it's a workspace, but what's the... Can you fit 12-inch cages in there or something? I'll be able to put 16-inch cages in there. Nice. Is that what you yeah, think so you're going to do? That's, that's what I'm trying to decide what I'm going to put in there. Uh, I basically have 30 feet by 30 inches uh, by 16 inches to decide how to lay that. <laughs> it's more uh, Nauta and uh, Tracy and I, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably uh, I'll probably put my Timors and my I got some Scrubbies that need a bigger case. Probably put them in there. How are they Let's doing? Here's the subs in the PRs, man. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Hop back into the subs in the PRs, man, and you'll be you know it'll be cool. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> are you you're still you're still working with uh Helma Harris Scrubs, right? How how are they doing? How's that project coming along? I got one, so just kinda uh, That's where we all are, I think. <laughs> there you go. Right. So yeah. is that a um what's the one? Is it a uh, female? Female? Yeah. Well that's good at least. Yeah, I had, uh, I had a male and a female, and I was pairing them up last year, and they were going at it like crazy, and then for some reason they just both killed over within like two weeks of each other. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, that's funny. But they were breeding like mad, so it's, uh, I got pictures of them hanging off perches like condors breeding. So. Yeah. That doesn't do any good now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So what, that was the smallest female that you had paired? That was the one that you still have? 
What was that? The one you still have was was a small yeah, female. Yeah, one was... I never. Yeah, it yeah. was a friend of mine had it uh, for like a year and couldn't get it to eat, so he sent it over here and for some reason they liked it here and started eating and hasn't turned down food since. But it's still nice. still a pretty shy little snake. So. Yeah. Now, what what have you done to try to uh, alleviate some of the stress that they? Uh, seem to uh seem to have have you done anything uh, special well the other one the i had the male that i had before was uh in really terrible shape it was like had all of his teeth missing and his face was all puffed up when i got him uh and he did really well in iraq um later i tried to put him in a cage <laughs> and he freaked out so i put him back in iraq and he was fine um right. The female that I just got, or I guess I've had her for almost a year, but when I got her, same thing. The other person had her in a cage. You wouldn't eat. I put her in a rack. She's fine. So, <laughs> I don't know. I had the other one in a cage, and it did fine. So, I think it's just kind of you got to base it off the individuals and how they behave. But they don't seem to mind tight, cramped rack states for some reason. Yeah, I had the, I had the same uh, experience, you know, that female that I had forever, and I actually, not soon after I moved her to a cage, she actually died. So, yep. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if just bringing in a CV70 would be the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Actually, I had that even at ten years old. I had that one female that you know from that I got as a baby in a twenty-eight quart, and she did fine. Ultimately, she actually wound up killing a couple males um, before she got too big tumors. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think they can do tubs. You you said she killed a couple males? Yeah, sort of unintentionally. They're just quite a bit smaller than her. And so she, same thing that you were seeing, sort of condor-pairing, condor-perching stuff, but maybe he was half her weight, and she just basically smushed him for three months or so as they were locking up. Uh, that oh, was the weird. first one. Um, so that well, and then she nailed him when I pulled him out. You know, she she took a feed bite on him, and that uh, you know didn't help. So I watched the watched the food go, I don't know, halfway, two thirds down, and then rot out um, in him where she had taken him out. I think she had twisted twisted his intestines and stuff, and she she really did him hard. Um, oh yeah. And then the second yeah, I don't one know, the female I had got a tumor and then died, and the male died just a couple of weeks later. Well, I don't know if yeah, he got something that I just never saw a tumor, or if he had, you know, I don't know. They were both uh, doing great for years before they ever met each other. So, <laughs> right? Apparently, I mean, that's uh, the weird trying thing. to breed them is a death sentence. And trying to breed them pops tumors unless you're OKC. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, she went season paired with two different males over two seasons and then she got two big tumors. Um, I think that they're frustrating because I think they'll be straightforward enough. I mean, heck, this is the year of the scrub python, you know, everyone's having success, but I think they'll be even easier because really when they're, they're not as docile, when they're really comfortable, that's sort of a fake show that they put on, but I don't know. I don't think they're going to be hard. That feels right there. The first yeah, that feels right there. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you guys for sure. 
because the ones that have come in really small tend to act like most of the other scrubs. They'll eat, they'll do all the stuff like the rest of them. It's just uh, wild, you know, bigger than five feet or whatever. Just they don't seem to. I think it's such a hard, you know what I mean, at that stuff where it's just bigger snakes are less resilient to, you know, kidney stuff and all that with just getting dried out. Over well, it's a hard road to get here, too. Trip. I mean, Kalma's not yeah. exactly uh, <laughs> a regular That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to book a trip from here to there, you know, so to speak. Yeah, but, I mean, they could go from Halma to Sarong or Jayapura before going over to Bali or Jakarta. And then they're boating or whatever. Yeah, or yeah, they're, and then they're you know, there, fly you know, to Bali then, and then boat or whatever. Anybody who's dealt with fighting permits and stuff realizes that's not an overnight process. So they uh, right. they probably sit, you know, in relative squalor for quite a while before they get sent here. Yeah. There you go, Eric. There's the trip. We'll just go to Homohara and maybe we'll stop in Borneo for Matt, you know, and that, there you go. He can solve his little problem out there. It's no big deal. Hell, man. I mean, I tell you what, I look, you can't book a trip to Meroki. You know, you can't. can't be done. You know, at least online from this stuff. You got to fly there and then figure it out. I'm yeah, down. I haven't tried to go to Indo. <laughs> yeah. Shit, how awesome I mean, would that Ryan be to be on how Yeah, right? You know, Ryan can tell us. I mean, Australia is basically just Europe with uh, some honeycomb covered in chocolate, you know, that sort of thing. But it's basically <laughs> the same thing. Nah. Why would anybody want to go to Europe? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Europe. <laughs> we want we want to go where Europe's in its, it's uh, least desirable. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. yeah, I just mean it relative to the Indo versus Australia. You know, one is just like it's the same thing as going to Belgium, except you got a lapids, and the other is, uh, you know, a whole different kettle of fish. That Indo oh, yeah, stuff. Oh, no, yeah, a lot different. Even just getting permission from locals to be on the land, I've heard, is convenient. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I know this is we're going back and forth all over the place, but I'm curious, Ryan, like with some of the species, I know you're one of those guys that, you know, you're trying to breed, you know, all these different types of pythons. Like how do you have you thought about incorporating anything for like, you know, say more cold climate species like, uh, you know, bolens, diamonds, anything like that? I have a pair of diamonds. Um, oh, but okay. I I keep right now they're just in my baby room, but I need to put them uh, either in the house or somewhere where I can get them cooler at night. Um, okay. So I I've had thoughts of doing a colder area, and that might come uh, after I get the next round of baby room remodel done and see how my shop looks as far as space and what I can afford to give up for more snakes or what I need to keep open to actually be able to build some stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you want to work with uh, Bolins? Do you think uh, that would be a species that you would want to work with? Uh, yeah, I'd want to work with them. Okay. Well, <laughs> Ryan gets them, and then the next year, you know, five years from then, he's breeding Bolins. Like, yeah, what's up? Yeah. No big deal, man. What are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> I don't it's not a pair, man. 
<laughs> Why are you guys Come having on. all these problems, man? It's just as simple. You put them together. Call What's the big day. deal? <laughs> well, I doubt that. So, I mean, you know, I'm kind of in uh, sort of the same boat now with all these different species. I mean, do you find yourself learn? I know. I think. I think you've said multiple times that uh, green green pythons are your favorite. Do you do you find yourself uh, working with these different species uh, better, honing in your skills for taking care of you know like green trees? Uh, you definitely can learn tricks from keeping different species that correlate to uh, keeping any of them. Um, there's big time overlap. And then uh, so you can go, well, this works good for those. I'll try it with these. And uh, mm-hmm. it typically, typically most of them, I'd say probably 60 to 80% of pythons need basically the same thing. There's really only a few outliers, but you're probably going to have to do more drastic things to get them to, you know, be happy. But mm-hmm. I mean, actually, it's probably only it's probably just a handful, so it's probably way more like ninety percent of them need the same thing, or right. roughly the same. Okay. I mean, and you said you were looking at like diamonds and bull and I are probably the most extreme cared desired ones. Then bread lie and metcalf lie definitely can colder winter temperatures, but are happy to they will live forever at other python temperatures. So it's, it's just very few that require anything special. Now, I've I've always wanted to ask you this because I've heard this in multiple interviews that you say that you keep your anteresia with hot spots or you keep them warmer. What's the difference between how you keep, you know, like say your other pythons as opposed to them? I do tend to give them uh, a basking spot of 85 during the day just throughout the year. Um, But I have kept them without basking spots and they seem to do fine too. It just if you're like with the pygmy pythons, if you're feeding them bigger sized meals, I think because they're just so small, you pretty much have to. Um, Gotcha. I like to give them a little bit extra heat, but I don't do anything crazy. When they're gravid, then I give them the 90 degrees. But other than that, it's uh, no basking at night and 84, 85 most of the year. Okay. And I'll do that. I'll do that with other stuff in the winter time if I'm dropping temps. Um, sometimes I'll bump up the basking spots to 84 during the day. Room set at 82. Bump the basking up to 84. But it just kind of depends on if I'm feeding still or what. So. Now, here's another question that I was curious about. Like, so how do you, like, when you're doing all these different species, you're, you're just dropping everything at the same time and, you know, so most of the species that you're working with are all within that, you know, uh, what is it, the 90% that you're talking about? They all follow suit? Yeah, you uh, you drop them all at the same time. Um, they might breed at different times um, or have peak breeding times. The bread lie, I stick them out in the garage um, in a box that I can control the temperature so I can get them colder at night. Um, I've done that with some of the stems to try to get um, 
the Easterns to breed better. But the okay. uh, and I'll probably do that with Metcalf when I get there. Sounds like they like it a little colder in the winter too. Yeah, you know, there's a there's there's different trains of thought with that. You know, that guy. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw Lon. Uh, he's bred them, I think, two years in a row, and he just keeps them at the ambient. He's like, he don't do nothing special. <laughs> yeah, so, I've heard. I've heard either way. Um, I just, I think it's probably one of those they will do it, but maybe more consistently or more predictably with with colder. With drop. <laughs> Since yeah. I do it for a living, I need predictability <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's kind of important now have you seen them in the wild in all your trips to australia my cat no i haven't seen i haven't seen that cat fly. apparently they're really tough to find yeah that's what i hear so. you might have found out man but you guys are bailing <laughs> <laughs> there's always next year man there's always next year sure. yeah i wanted to swing through long reach last time but it just yeah, it was out of the out of the way for what we were doing. Our trip was too ambitious to start with. So. Well, that was the WA trip, right? No, uh, the last time I, I was, went, I was the uh, Cape York. Yeah, last last uh, fall I went for uh, thirty days or twenty seven days, something like that, and we drove oh, the shit. entire east coast to the Cape, across the top end to Darwin and back. So. Wait, so Eric, you didn't have him on after he did this this venture? I, I vaguely remember. I didn't know he did the trip. Holy I, fuck! I didn't know. Man. Okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I flew to so, Sydney hold on. and drove Let's back all up the way to step up. one. Uh, yeah, hold on, hold on. Let's back up to step one, man. What? Where? So where'd you fly into? Sydney. Okay, and then you drove up, and then you went across the top. That's awesome. Yeah, we drove up. Uh, went across. We went up um, Cairns, and then from Cairns we went across the top end, all the way to Darwin, Herbs Kakadu for five or six days, and then we went back across, uh, back to Cairns, then up to the Cape, and then back down to Sydney. Holy shit! So did you go either of those? Did you did you stay coastal on both, or did you go inland a little bit on the inside of those mountains, or what what happened? Uh, we never went uh, on the other side of the uh, range. We stayed on the coast side. We went inland quite a ways one night where we were camping, um, but uh, we found a coastal carpet, and then we were doing some fishing that night. Nice. Who all went? Uh, just me and a friend of mine that lives over there. Okay. And then we picked up... Uh, um, Peter Krause and Cairns and drove across with him. Kakadu. That's awesome, man. Wow. You got some experience there. <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it was fun here and uh, kind of reliving his his uh, adventures yeah. across the top. If you got Ross and Marchak, you've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, it was, that was interesting. He was a good good guy. Had a lot of fun. No doubt, oh, cool. man. So, so have you? Uh, I know. Again, we're jumping all over the place, but that's okay. Um, have you checked Breadlie off your list yet of breeding them? Have you had success with them? I yeah, I've, I've, I've bred them to, uh, what two or two times? I think, yeah, two times. Oh, okay. All right. 
So what are you up to now? What, 20 species that you bred? Uh, what is it, 24 or something? Okay. I guess ah. depending, on, depending on what taxonomy you go with. Mm, taxonomy. Are you beating uh, <laughs> Mr. Spokane at this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Crush him. Actually, that's, I'm, only, I'm only looking up at one person now. So. David Tracy? David yep. Tracy, probably. Yeah. Wow, that's a huge accomplishment, man. You should uh, you should be proud of yourself for that. I mean, that's not many people can say that they've done that. You know. That well, just takes time. You can do it. Yeah, but you know, you and have to what? have a certain. Uh, you know how we all have reptile ADD. We go to a reptile show, or you listen to a podcast, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, I want to get that," and then you like get rid of a species, and then you know, new species moves in, and you know, be able to do that over years is, it takes a lot of dedication. Oh, Lord knows yeah. I've done that. I should. <laughs> there's probably five or six species I should have bred years ago that I had, and just. Never, I just didn't stick with it. I never even got okay. even to try to breed them. I just was like, oh, I need more room for these and got rid of those. And it was, yeah, no, I definitely, definitely made those uh, blunders along the way. But. Yeah, me too. You know, you kick yourself. I had all these amazing scrubs and it's just like, ah, oh, get out of scrubs. And then you're like, son of a bitch. If I had them now, they'd be breeding or at least trying to breed them, you know. <laughs> Well, the hard part is you tend to go crazy and you get like five or six new new species in a relative short amount of time, and it's all great when they're little and living in racks and everything's fine. And then and you realize like, wait a minute, where am I going to put poplin pythons when they get big? Where am I going to put all this stuff when it gets big? And then you yeah. just uh, decide to sell it because you don't you didn't have anywhere to put it, so it was like you kind of handpicked yourself. Well, Eric and I are both into that. That particular problem, again, with clutch snakes from that same cat or glitter, but I've got a plan, and he's trying to build a room. So we're, you know, this is yeah. time six for me. You know, <laughs> maybe we'll finally get it. I've had adults here. Maybe we'll finally get it to go. What I'm already worried about, I don't know, Rob, with you, but my my girl is bigger than my boy, you know, because the boy is like uh, the male is he he like eats every other time. But the female, she just uh-huh. she just freaking pounds food, you know. Like, I mean, even if there's a thought of food, she's she's on it. But you know, I'm thinking of listening to these guys and they're breeding them, and like, you know, you want to try to keep them the same size because the female eats the male. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I don't think no, that. I, mean, I don't think that's that big. big of a deal. Yeah. Huh? I, I, I think you just the you male's gonna get be smaller, smaller. man. It doesn't matter if the male is the same size or not. It just matters if she likes him or not. Oh, yeah. Okay. If she doesn't like him, it doesn't matter if he's bigger than her. She's going to kill him. (laughs) (laughs) From everybody I've talked to that has done it, you basically got, got three situations when you pair him. You've got either she tries to eat him or indifferent or they'll actually breed. Those are your three options. <laughs> and from what I've been told, if she wants to eat him the first time you put him together, chances are she will never not try to eat him. Oh, man. Yeah, that instant <laughs> reaction. Right. And they'll pretzel even if they haven't ovulated. You know, they'll pretzel without going on to an ovulation, for sure. I've seen that before. So. And you know what the crazy thing is, is the blackheads get the worst rap for that. 
but it seems like when no. you talk to people that actually have blackheads, they say, no, not, I mean, it will happen. I think I that was just one, I think back in the eighties when people were trying to breed those for the first time, I think one snake ate another one and it just kind of became fixed in literature and, and talking. Yeah. 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 I think that's kind of what happened with them. I like coastal carpets. Now, rings and pop ones are much more likely. Coastal carpets being 13 feet, that type of deal. You know, like somebody said yeah. it way back when, and then it becomes fact. <laughs> it's not really the case. Well, I mean, I think certain localities are capable of getting that big, but not the the majority of the captive U.S. stuff is, doesn't have the genes to get that big. Right. There you go. There's your question, Eric. Hop into it. What'd you say, Rob? You broke up a little Genetics bit. Genetics aside, there's your question right there, man. Hop into it. <laughs> Genetics aside, what do you mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, <great. laughs> okay. Now, the... Oh, I forgot. That was your next show. Now, Eric was talking about the... was talking about the... Dude, this is your... What you were telling me an hour ago. Yeah, but that wasn't um, that was so we're doing a show, Ryan, and um we're doing a like a genetic round table and it's coming up at the end of the month and one of the things that they were taught so it's like Travis Wyman and Warren Booth and I think Nick and Justin and Ben are all gonna be involved in it. And one of the, the things that came up was <clears throat> I was asking if, you know, you'll hear a lot of retic breeders talk about if they breed a female that says is a dwarf uh, retic, you know, that the babies will come out smaller. And is, you know, is that, is that accurate? Is that genetic? And does that come from the female or does that, is that more of a selective breeding type of thing? You have any thoughts yeah, on that? Probably all, I think it's probably all of the above. I think it's, there's clearly a genetic component to some of this stuff staying small in nature. Um, right that doesn't mean you can't, we can undo a lot of that in captivity as has been shown with tandem bar pythons. I mean, I've seen huge, you know, 10, 12 foot tandem bars, but that's not, they're not, they're not supposed to be that way. Wow. Um, they're basically a chondro, right? <laughs> exactly. Same thing. Chondro is not supposed to get that big. So, like, you know, jungle carpet, clearly there's something keeping them small in the wild, but you can get them, you know, uh, most I mean, the yellow and Ryan, black. Ryan, I have a book that tells me I can't breed female green trees until they're 2,000 grand. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that that book, you can peel those pages off and wipe your you know, up with it. Use it as cage liner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh. No, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. It's not. I mean, you know. But that book is based on his personal beliefs, not actual science in the wild. So. Right. Just a certain approach, right? And I wonder if that original TNG stuff is actually bigger. I don't know that we have a ton of samples out of that stuff in the Wilson and Touche stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard of some of the weird. Uh, PNG side ones being bigger, but I tend to, I tend to wonder like did they just find one crazy big one and now they're all, you know, right. big. And it was just one weird individual. I mean, they found 33 foot retics, but that was how long ago? When was the last time they found one over 25 feet? You know, right. 
well, there's the always the outlier. Everything, right? Yeah. The yeah, different Sean sure. Bradley, who's seven foot six or whatever, and played in the NBA. Right. Yeah. There's a. Uh, nature is always trying to improve, and if they make a bigger one in the wild, and it works out, and those genes eventually take over millions of years later, you got a bigger snake. So. If it doesn't work out, then it was a failed experiment. So how are the uh, green trees doing? I mean, you know, your Aru project is sort of the one that you've uh, been chipping away at. How How's that coming along? Oh, uh, good. I'm real happy with where I'm at so far. Uh, I've actually had to sell a few lately, but <laughs> can't ah. keep it <laughs> um, uh, I definitely, I'm like severely lacking in males, so... I broke down and sold a couple of females from different years. Um, I still have all of last year's babies that I'm keeping until they change, and I can sex them, and then I'll keep however many I think I can keep, and I'll sell some of those. But the Manaquara babies this year, i got to do the same thing. I'll keep them probably so I can sex them and then keep a couple pairs and sell the rest. Yeah, that male nice. you have is fabulous. What was that? that? Your male is fabulous. My manaquari? Yeah. Yeah, he's a nice snake. I like him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Understatement of the century. Cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, I mean, <laughs> I was real happy to get some babies out of him. You know, wild stuff tends to be a little trickier, but. Got some babies with a female that was brought in at the same time, so I was pretty pretty jazzed about that. Any yellow wife. babies out of those? Yeah, I have uh, 1.2 yellow ones and 1.1 red ones, but the red ones didn't go, so hopefully they'll go okay. this year. What's your stance on the whole yellow versus red thing? And it sure seems like yellow is recessive to red, but don't tell that. To yellow yellow being stuff. recessive is the only thing that makes sense. Right? No, no, magic. It, it, don't, don't forget. Don't discount magic. Uh, well, the, <laughs> the problem is, is everybody wants the red ones to be the special thing, and genetically right. they're not. Well, they're not, they're not unspecial. They're just not the recessive mutation. Sure. I think what you've got is the southern species is all yellow. So once they become a yellow population, there's no going back. I think what you're seeing now is we live in a snapshot of time in evolutionary history, and I think if you could fast forward millions of years, the northern species will probably also get to where they're entirely yellow. yellow. The the mechanics of turning from red to green it doesn't make biological sense. Just watch the snakes as they change. It's awkward. They go from red to orange to kind of yellow before they start turning green, where the yellow ones, it's it's a much smoother process. And I yeah, think, sort of yellow to green, sure. Yeah, I think, you know, the gene, they probably evolved and, you know, got a recessive mutation for the yellow baby, and the, it worked for whatever reason. And because it's probably just more efficient from a biological standpoint. I think you'll probably find, and, well, I guess we'll never know. We'll be long dead before it happens, but it, uh, I would venture to guess that given enough time, yellow will probably be 
all localities, baby color. Not in the moment of time we live now. Is there any train of thought on why they are yellow and red when they're babies? Um, My personal belief is that they obviously have a similar, uh, an ancestor that was not green, and more than likely their closest relatives had grayish brown babies. And so they probably just, in the process of whatever losing being a brown snake and becoming a green snake, they probably went from having a a reddish-brown baby to a bright red baby, and then now they're just evolving further to have the yellow baby instead of the red baby. That's my own personal hypothesis, anyway, what it's worth. Hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and some of it speaks to as well, right? We always view things human tendency to view things how we see them, but the visible spectrum to us is not necessarily the same as predator prayers, you know, relative to those things in PNG. So maybe that's part of it too, you know, right? Selective, the benefit of it, whereas a yellow snake is very noticeable to us. It's not necessarily noticeable to something with a, a different spectrum. Well, it might, it could be as simple as, you know, if if you have a hundred red babies and a hundred yellow babies, and during the color change, that last longer in the red babies, maybe during the color change they're more vulnerable to predation, and so sure. maybe a higher percentage of the red babies get eaten, and the yellow babies live at a higher percentage rate. That's probably how eventually you get to yellow being the default, because once they're all yellow, there's no going back. What if there's still that one, you know, red or roo? I mean, I know that uh, <laughs> Eric has that book that says there's a red or roo. Little popcorn kernel looking thing looks like a ruby oxidation, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, there's probably some weird genetic malfunction to where you could have some default go back to a historical appearance, you know, like some humans have a small tail. I mean, it's, you know, sure. it's probably. There's probably ways or mechanics that would explain that, but I, I think the obvious explanation is probably the most likely one, and that's uh, it's not pure. <laughs> but that's just me. <laughs> I would agree. Sound. I mean, it makes All right, sense. All for Eric's benefit, we'll get back on get back on track here. But he didn't include <laughs> a bunch of stuff that I sent him. What about uh, what's going on with the dumb pythons, man? Well, for me, I just have really old ones. They all came in in the mid '90s, and so they're old as dirt. They're they the breed stuff and all that stuff. She gets follicles, but doesn't ovulate. So, so you're running kinda... them, and they're getting big, but nothing. Yep, she gets big follicles and then doesn't ovulate. So, it's. Hmm. But, I mean, they lived at one person's house for a long time, so maybe it's just going to take a couple of years of doing it how I do it, and then maybe they'll fall in the line, or maybe they're just too old to not, you know. They were adults when they came in, so they're probably in their So they're wild ones. They're not even uh, Carmichael babies. I have one that's an F1, and it's probably, what, 15 years, 10 years old, something like that, yeah. 15. 02, wow. 03, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I think it's earlier than that, even. I mean, those uh-huh. last ones that I had seen were, I think, 03. 03 season was the last ones that I knew about. Um, yeah, it certainly could be earlier. 
Yeah, okay. so we'll see. That's uh, that's that's probably the rarest python in the United States collections. I would venture to say, probably a pretty safe bet. I think so. Did you have those back in the day as well? I, uh, I know no, I, I never, I Did never had them. Um, I never got them uh, back then. It was kind of one of those. Um, the period in time that they came in was right when everybody was going crazy for everything else, and I was guilty of that too. So it was kind of uh, like, oh, that's just a weird MacLaws five one. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. But once you once you see one in person, you're like, whoa, that's not a MacLaws five one. But it really back then there was no decent photographs of them. There's a couple decent photographs of them now, but. When you see them in person and get them in your hand, it's like, this is not a Mac Ops Python. But, right. <laughs> yeah. Different head. But it it kind of takes, uh, takes that hands-on, eyes-on approach to notice the differences. Sure. <sighs> Maybe one day. What, uh, <laughs> what, um, what's the deal with your Western stem stuff? I've bred them a couple times. They're oh, really? uh, great snakes. <laughs> yeah, they're real. Some extra uh, floating uh, around? Huh? Is that something you send out extras of, or you just keep them back up? Or? I sold um, most of them. I think I have uh, well, a couple. I think I have a couple extra males from the two clutches, and there might be one other pair I might sell here. But the female just won't be brained right now, so I haven't uh, yeah. put her up with that. But yeah, they're really cool. That's cool. That's, that's a really pretty snake. Really fun. Yeah. That super cream against that hard color. That's really nice, man. Yeah, yeah they're way different. The Easterns are better looking babies. The Westerns are really nondescript as babies. They're really kind of boring. They take some time to come into their own. When they come around, yeah. <laughs> it's well worth That's it. Cool, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, they're real real nice snakes. I thoroughly enjoy them. That's cool. I think we That's had cool. on the What's list. What's the story? Oh, go yeah, ahead, Rob. No, 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 go. No, no. What's the story on the striped stem, or the striped spotted man? Um, They were, uh, a guy in Canada had been working with them, and a friend of mine uh, was able to export me two pairs from him. And so they, uh, from what I've been able to find, they're not related to other U.S. spotted. Um, and when you breed the stripes together, I've gotten, it, they're called stripes, but they're, the mutation is not always like these perfect stripes. They kind of have this uh, pixelated side pattern. They tend to be blotchy on the top with a gold stripe in the blotch. Uh, but right, it's, it's sort not, of a, a tri-stripe with a blotch, something like that, right? Yeah. More so. Yeah. Um, it, it appears, um, whatever it is, however it's reproduced, it appears to be pretty potent. Um, every stripe that I've bred to a striped animal, I've gotten striped babies. I've bred a striped male to a het granite female, and most of the, ba- I think it was like most of the babies were pretty stripy, not as good as the originals, but not like, not way different to where you'd think it was a codon trait. Sure. Um, 
So maybe it's a good polygenic sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly whatever it is is a thing. The Australians have a similar-looking snake, and they get the similar results. Um, I know some Americans have said they've popped up animals that look like that out of the other spotted lines. So it it appears that whatever it is, you know, it's definitely reproducible. Exactly saying how it's reproducible, I couldn't tell you for sure uh, whether it's polymorphic, code, you know, incomplete dominant or recessive. I think I would lead toward some form of incomplete dominant with some polymorphic traits mixed in potentially. Right. And I mean, they look like like solid central coast triggers, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no no weird, um, like, uh, Cape York stuff or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it's different look. Yeah. And the size, they're small. They're not big like that Cape York stuff. No. Yeah. Okay. But you'll find when you guys are on your trip, the Cape York thing's kind of funny. They're not. I found they're one that was a prototypical Cape York looking animal that we call Cape Yorks, but they're not. When you go way up the Cape, they look like the, uh, the Poplin ones, apparently, but they're not all. They're not all what we think Cape York flies look like. <laughs> Doesn't that they're happen more often than not? Okay. Well, <laughs> and even there's the oxy thing, right? Where it's like, oh, what do we call them? Cape, Cape Yorks, and they call them Blonde Max, and it's like, oh, well, what's the yeah, differentiation? We're saying it's only here. Yeah. Platinums, blondes, whatever. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, it occurs in the wild. I've, I caught one myself that was a, like you could have dropped it in a box in the U.S. and been like, this is a Cape York, and nobody would have even thought otherwise. Right. But um, the guy I was with was like, oh, we go, you know, you can catch one that looks just like the other one right in the same spot. So I don't know. <laughs> what, I don't think you, really know was the size exactly. difference a thing or no? Not really. I don't think in the wild there's that much of a size difference. Okay. They're just so that range is so huge for all those enturation, except for fences, I suppose. But like the rest of them, they're so wide ranging that it's there's a ton of variation that just gets all clustered up, you know, here with our captive stuff. Yeah, we. I mean, we have a very limited gene pool, uh, so our looks tend to be more fixed than um, the wild animals probably would be. Hence, like, you're I mean, not going to find a bright yellow and black jungle carpet more than likely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Big Mission Beach, that's about it, right? Uh, uh, if you're lucky. Right. But what uh, I saw, I was looking through your stuff, that children that you had, that's out of the VPI stuff, right? That's the line of children that you're working? I have a VPI line, and then I have Lloyd Lemke's old line. And those are I different. Have, I haven't read pure VPI yet. Um, I think okay. it's probably all um, from the history I've looked into. They're they're different lines as far as they've been bred separately for a long time. But whether their founders are all from, right. you know, most of most of the founder animals all pretty much came from one general <laughs> area, from what I've found, and it's. Different breeders Maybe have done their own that. things. Ah, gosh. Huh? Maybe what? Maybe Pete could have spoken to that. Oh. 
<laughs> no comment. Okay. <laughs> no, no. What, what conversations you have in Australia stay in Australia. Yes. Yeah, I hear that. Okay. Um, that's what, one thought that triggers me back to what, what are the diamonds that you're working with? You said you Where have some diamonds. Or, or, yeah. What's the. I remember uh, when. Uh, they're a mix of, I think, what, San Diego Zoo and. Oh, what did he tell me? I have to go look at my paperwork. That's, it's. I think it's pretty much an amalgamism of most of the captive lines all in one. So they just sure. well out. Yeah. It's just, it spoke to the point that I know uh, when Eric went to pick Nick up from the airport, I had brought up this point that just because the same things arrived and then went to different places... Despite being clutchmates, they were then called different things and then brought back together. Was was a whole thing, and you know, I know the reduced pattern diamond thing. That's I'm just causing problems for Eric. Don't worry about it. So, <laughs> Ryan, you're, you're just along for the ride. It's yeah, like, I think I think those reduced pattern diamonds pretty much tell you most of those things are probably more closely related because they seem to be popping out of everything. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's weird how that works. Amazing. No, it's just that <laughs> everything's hat, but they're unrelated. Mm, okay, cool, man. Yeah. You, yeah. you go you go with that. Um, let's see. Man, you're really poking what, the bear uh, tonight, man. <laughs> you're on fire. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just having a good time, man. I try hey, to. Hey, man. It's a good time. You know, I've been out when Ryan's been out before, so I'm, you know. <laughs> Well, that, that's some, yeah. that carpet stuff's not my main cup of tea. I'm not a huge carpet guy. So. I'm well, more just read them and check them off kind of a guy. So. Well, that's more interesting to me. So, no, we're, we're, we're right on track. Speaking of that, what about the Walmart's, man? I saw you got eggs from that nice red animal. What's what's the story there in terms of stuff this year? Or are you keeping all those? No, I'm keeping. Uh, I had I got a mail from her a couple years ago, um, and so I kept a female from this year, and I sold the others. Wow. Nice. So nice. I have to. Nice I have to ask you though, when it comes to you know the the thing seems to be that uh, you know Woma eggs or maybe just Aspidite eggs in general. Um, what's the secret? Well, I, I, I can't uh, claim the secret to blackhead eggs because I suck at hatching them so far. But uh, <laughs> the was uh, I used to do really good with, my walk-in incubator um, works differently than my my previous incubators, and I'd never had Woma issues um, until my – the last time I had Woma eggs was the first year I was running my walk-in incubator, and it was running – a lot more humid, and I wasn't. I didn't compensate with the tubs for the room being more humid, so I didn't have enough airflow, and so I greased the uh, greased those ones except for the one egg that has the. Uh, this year, I only lost two eggs, so I think I'm I'm figuring out my incubator more and more uh, as, I, as I use it. But there's definitely when you switch incubators and incubator containers, there's a learning curve to. I was used to fan-driven, you know, small freezer-style incubators mm-hmm. where you had to worry about the fans drying out the eggs. And uh, 
And then, like, I was using um, regular shoe boxes, and you think, oh, you got the lid on there, and it's a real tight fit. Well, there, I'm using food service pans now, and the lid is, like, completely sealed. And so it took a took a few years to realize that's too much sealed, where I couldn't ever have a two-sealed tub in the previous incubators I had. But in this room incubator, I had to... Well, I don't know if it's the room more than the egg boxes themselves, but I have since mm-hmm. added ventilation, and my problems are getting better. So, hmm. Otherwise, I think Eric's SIM containers are like that, too, with that super seal. Yeah, they say that, uh, you know, I don't know, the talk is that you can't get them, like, really wet, but at the same time, you have to have the humidity. So it seems like the Sims kind of answer that question or that problem, but I don't know. I, I hear I a lot of people sitting gasket. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people, some people, I, I've heard multiple people talk about it, but you know, some people like Keith, he hatched them out. No problem this year, but other people, they can't, right. I don't know. It's like one of them weird things. man. <laughs> Yeah, I think Aphrodite eggs are like green python eggs. They can they need humidity, but no actual moisture touching. Moisture, yeah. right? Which is uh, well, I guess with those it's easier, but still, still, still. So cool. What else you got, Rob? What's on the list? What's next? <laughs> right. What's next? So I saw the picture. You, got, you hatched out some amii, which means you're keeping some bugs, man. So tell us about the amii. Tell us about, I assume you're bringing your own bugs and stuff. What's the story? Yeah, I keep, uh, when I was over, you know, visiting Australia, I kind of fell in. I've always liked more things than just pythons, but I've sure. had to try to be somewhat dedicated to one thing to not get too sidetracked. But, uh when I was over there, I caught some um, the northern shei, and I was like, "Man, yeah. these are cool." And so when I got back, yeah. I was like, "I gotta, I gotta get some, <laughs> I gotta get some rough knobbies." So I got some, and they're real fun. Um, I had a pair, and I've kept all their babies. I think I've got, I don't know, seven or eight babies now. But uh, right on. yeah, and then I just I breed the red runner roaches to feed them. They like those. The lateralis, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're, uh, they're cool, fun little lizards. And yours are, because the thing with the Amii, right, is always that there are some, quote, lines or whatever where it seems like they're not super productive, but yours yours have been good. So, uh, my female is really old, so I haven't gotten, um, I've, she lays like one egg at a time. I think only once she laid twice, but she's getting pretty old. Um Okay. I kind of gambled getting her whether she would even breed anymore. Um, okay. And so I've just been keeping all my – all. The, I think I had three babies last year and five this year. So, right. Okay, so you're just trying to start a group and see what they do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just put them – like when she lays her eggs, I just put them on the floor in my Python incubator room, and they seem to hatch out fine. So <laughs> it's been pretty straightforward. <laughs> hey, Dom. <laughs> yeah, they're cool, man. Little basketball dinosaur thing. Yeah, they're they're awesome. But yeah, so I, just, I, I, I remember that. Thing the thing. The and eat them bugs. Okay. Easy, and 
Is that it for the bugs? Well, you also have the blue tongue stuff going on, right? Is it just those? Yeah, I have, uh, northerns, I have. Or uh, you have other stuff. I have a few northerns, uh, a couple of IJ blue tongues, and uh, some spiny skins. That's what I got. What is that depressor? Yeah, the depressed complex stuff. Yeah, I mean those are so they're so variable. Are those the red stuff or the the gray stuff? I've got uh, the the gray stuff. Yeah, I mean they're still they're awesome, but yeah, they're fun little lizards. Too they, much to uh, collect. They hide a lot, but... <laughs> huh? Too much to collect. There's so much awesome stuff. Yeah, no, they were fun. I had a baby this year, so that was kind of fun. Did you? That's cool. Yeah, I was looking. I was using. I was. Yeah, it's doing fine. I was at the. I had a flashlight at night, and I was going around the room, and I looked in the rock pile, and I'm like, "What was?" And then you know when you like walk away, and then you're like playing in your mind, like, "What did I just see?" And I had to go back and like, "What was that flash?" Yeah, so I was like, "There's a baby in there." (laughs) That was kind of fun. That's cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're just feeding those lateralis and stuff too? I feed them lateralis and uh, the rapashi grub pie. They like that stuff. Do they? Okay. That's cool. They they love the bugs too. But when I'm out feeding the blue tongues, I'll throw a little bit in with them and they seem to scarve it down pretty good. And those are all, for the blue tongues, it's all northern stuff? Yeah. And just two IJs. Females, I don't think I have a man. That's cool, man. And you're keeping those in racks, or are those the things with the lights above the the ARS tubs? No, they're just in the CB70s. Okay. Down in the there in the far, I don't know if they're even. I don't know if I took a picture with all those cages and racks in there yet or not. I think I did one side of the room, but I don't know if I shot a picture the other way yet. But they're on the other end. Right on. Cool. You know, and the one I thing know I was going to... Last year... Go ahead. Go ahead. What's that, Rob? You broke up. You're good. Go. No, I was going to say, you know, the one thing that I didn't hit on was the walls that you put up in the room. Um, as I was scrolling through the pictures, I just remembered, like, you have PVC wall. What was <laughs> PVC the... PVC wall. Yeah. What was the yeah, thought behind that? Yeah, well, I I saw I watched my drywall just take a beating in the other room, um, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, I don't I don't want to have to do this again. And <laughs> so I I was just doing my homework, doing some research in the agricult agriculture industry, farming industry, and I came across these uh, PVC wall panels for you. They use them in pig farming applications and dairy industry. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I called up my local uh, plastic guy that I buy plastic for building cages. And he was like, well, let me look into it. I'll see if I can find find it. And they have it in their Portland um, branch, but not at the Spokane one. So I was like, well, I'm going to go with that then. So <laughs> I uh, decided to give that stuff a whirl. And it's real nice. No, uh, no drywall mess. No painting. No priming. None of that. So I'm pretty tickled with that too. Yeah, 
That looks like a pretty good idea. Yeah, for sure. I saw that. I was like, oh wow, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, it's a pretty decent investment. It's um, I'd say if you have to pay a drywall finisher and all that, depending on your square footage, it's it's probably about a third more, maybe a quarter okay. more than spray drywall would be. Right. By the time you buy the drywall, hang it, tape, texture paint, prime, do all that. It's uh right. I estimate it. I think I spent I think I figured it's probably cost me about a thousand dollar difference to go with the the P V C versus Pro. Right. Yeah, but like you said, if you're gonna do it, do it right and then you don't have to do it again, right? At least that's the hope. That was my that was my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know I didn't like cutting the checks for it, but it was <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, right? <laughs> well, the drywall it kind of lulls you to sleep. You know, you buy the drywall, and then you buy your other stuff, and then you buy your paint. It's it's not all at once. So. Right. Yeah. You pay it out of the time. Like, oh yeah. Here's your pallet full of it, and here's what it costs. And so I was like, oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have a a different feel to it? Uh, it's just uh, really smooth. Um, it's not so it doesn't feel plasticky and stuff yeah I mean it feels like plastic it's PVC uh, well that's that's my question does it feel it feels like um, what are those habitat system cages that's what it feels okay. like ah. it does feel like that Okay. yeah it's hollow core got the ribs in the middle half inch thick it's probably made out of the same That's exact cool, but it's trip, man. <laughs> huh? That's cool, but it's a trip. That must be a trip to feel that. <laughs> like, well, yeah, but you don't really feel, you know, it's once you put all your cages and everything in front of you, you never see it again. So it's kind of, and then I got 10 foot high ceilings, so I really don't see, touch the ceiling that often. You're not a weirdo feeling up the walls? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> no. Not, not typically. <laughs> People come over and they rub the wall, but that's about it. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. That's cool, man. But yeah, I'd recommend um, that too. Ray foam and that seems to be a decent combination. Yeah. What is the gap between the exterior wall, like in terms of you filling that with the foam? I'm thinking for Eric's situation, if he's going to fill from, it's just the cement, right, Eric, on the exterior wall. If yeah. you're like, how much of a gap would you need to leave between that and then if you're going to do a PVC wall and then fill it, is that like three inches, something like that? Is it probably um, of a? I have. Three inches of foam on the ceiling and two inches on the walls. Okay. But my wall fit. My walls are six inches thick, so there's a big empty space. That's yeah, that's a big. When you're that's dealing with a full building. Hmm. But the PVC, you just lay right on the studs like drywall. Right. Gotcha. So you were saying it is that hollow core, so it's. What, like a quarter inch thick, something like that? Uh, I think there's a couple brands that are a quarter inch, but it's a half inch stuff I use. Okay. 
Yeah, I might have to knock a wall down and build out, man. (laughs) Dude, that's the side of your house, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do you need that for? (laughs) I think you might hear about that from uh, from someone. From the (laughs) missus? Whether it's the neighbor, you know, or your wife. Somebody. (laughs) Happy wife, happy life, man. That's right. (laughs) You know, originally I was going to come out into my driveway. Um, and extend it, yeah. but that is oh, going to be yeah. a nightmare too. So I think I'm just going with the room that it is, you know. So are you trying to convert the whole garage, space. or just like half of it? So I have, He's got a I crazy have space, man. Yeah, I have a. <laughs> yeah. It was a two car garage, right? And what they did is they took half of the garage and they made it a hair salon. Um, and the, gr- oh, the okay. lady that used to live here, she had like a hair salon as the half of the garage. So you know, I'm going to convert that other half into uh, a third room uh, at this point. And, right. That um, other half is the same same width, but it actually runs behind. So there's a, what is it, four-foot section that runs behind the other room. So it's sort of an L shape that runs behind the other room. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Only, it's only four feet wide. In, in the that back. back part, and then it's the same the same width in the front. So what is that? Twelve foot, something like that. Yeah, probably something. Foot, foot. 20, 24 feet. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's built so. under the house. It's not. It's not uh, separate. Well, you, yeah. you'd like that spray foam, then. Any if you've got any smell, it won't go into your house. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Happy wife, man. <laughs> Happy wife. I'm looking out for you. <laughs> yeah, us Python guys, we got to stick together. You know what I mean? That's right. <laughs> yeah, so true. Oh, Just smell out. She'll be happy. Life is good. Uh, yeah, that's why mine was like, we'll move if you get them all out of the house. So, so had to <laughs> And did you go from Idaho to Idaho, or did you guys move from somewhere else? I grew up in Spokane, Washington, which is just on the other side of the border. And we okay. bought our first house and moved to uh, Idaho. Okay. Okay. So I had two snake rooms in that house. Um, and then I wanted to put a building in the backyard of that house, but we were in a, a homeowner. Um, HOA thing. HOA, yeah. And so they were like, you can only have. I think it was a 180 square feet or 100, 200 square feet building. And it can include this view. And it was like, you know, by the time I do all that, I know that's not going to be big enough. And so I convinced her to move out here. And she was like, okay, if the snakes have their own place, not in the house. Except the diamond python. The weather is more or less the same. Well, they're not in the house yet. I guess there's a rubber bow in the house also. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Cool. So, I'll probably go left up and go pretty soon. Um, the one right thing. On. Uh, so, oh, go ahead, Rob. No, I was just going to ask. So I know I was not on for any of these, but the you produced gold white lips last year. Right. Yep, and yep, so when you've been on previously, you said, "Oh, well, I had a pair, and then I added an extra male because the first two didn't seem to get along that well." So, was it adding that extra male that got a different response from the female that made all the difference in the world, or or what happened? Do you think? 
You know, honestly, I, I for sure, um, the only male I ever saw breed her was the was the other male, the male that I'd always had. Um, even the year I got babies, he was, I mean, both males were with her a lot, but he was the only one I actually saw locked up. I saw the other male a couple times where it was like, he could be locked up, but I wasn't going to dig in there and find out for sure. So there's a chance they both fathered babies, but, um, she never hung out with the, the other male I have. I would put him in there and they would breed, but it was always like, He's on one side, she's on the other, and their tails would be kind of like in the neutral zone. Um, the new male that I got, he will stay with her and completely be in contact with each other the whole time they're together. Um, so I don't know if, you know, I mean, it's I don't think it's a coincidence that she laid with the you know, having a male that she seems to prefer as far as just hanging out. But mm-hmm. I can't say for sure if, you know, he's the only one that fathered babies. So right. I don't uh, think it was a total question. Is there anything difference between the golds or the uh the blacks as far as breeding or is it the same same thing? I did absolutely nothing different. Um the other than I have two male northerns and I only have one male southern. Um my the southerns I bred three years in a row, and then the last two years she hasn't bred. Um, so I don't know. You know, usually I breed them every other year, but she seemed to want to go those three years in a row, so I wasn't going to stop her. And this the last two years she really hasn't done anything, so I don't know if maybe she'll be back on this year, hopefully. But as far as cycling them, pairing them, and stuff like that, they were, I mean, Exactly the same, just like everything else. Put them together and they get it on. <laughs> gotcha. And they they breed. I think you said they breed early, right? Uh they the southerns. I think part of my problem early on was that she was trying to breed in what is my summertime for cycling. And I wasn't really picking up what she was laying down at first. And it wasn't until every year it seemed like, I think the first time she started acting like something was going on, it was like August. And she got big follicles. I did pair her up and everything, but she never ovulated. Then it was like the next year she would get big, huge follicles in September, but didn't do anything. And then it was, it took like three or four years to where her cycle coincided with my cycling to where it worked out. But she was always, the years that she laid eggs, she was the first snake to lay eggs all three years. And it, gotcha. I think she laid in January all three of those years. Or actually she laid January, like the late January the first time and early January. So she actually laid two clutches in one calendar year. Um, That's as crazy. far as 300. 365 days, but it was it was literally within like a week. It wasn't like I didn't double clutch or anything. It was just right. Mhm. Cool. But cool. the uh, I think the northern went a little later. She wasn't the first thing to lay, but she wasn't late by any stretch. Okay. Speaking of all that, I know uh, 
I was very excited when I got some books from Dave and Tracy. Lots of pictures from you, which is cool. None from me were included, sadly. Uh, but the, the thought I wanted to hit on with you was, you know, all those sort of superfluous white lip pythons, to me, I'm all this left stuff. I'm highly skeptical, and I'm curious your take. I don't know if Eric put this in the thing or if I'm hitting you cold, but I'm I'm very skeptical that, oh, well, there it's not a discontinuous range, but we're pulling one one tiny, one specimen and saying, oh, this must be a totally different species. Do you have any thoughts about that stuff? Um, I think, I mean, obviously you're going to need some genetic testing with animals later on to, to determine if it's, if they're valid or not. I tend to think um, the Huon Peninsula stuff, there is a lot of um, animals that are, that have, you know, restricted ranges in the Huon Peninsula that are different um, than their relatives off of the Huon Peninsula. So I tend to think the bat snake is probably going to be valid. That one might be legit. Okay. Um, I can't remember. Is, is that Huon ends this or is, I don't remember. I can't remember exactly right. how he named them all. The, um, yeah. You know, the the problem is that all of those other than Bioc ends come from the PNG side. Um, there's yeah. there's weird stuff going on over there, just like there's weird stuff on the north on the populous side. Once you get out into those islands, um, and I think. I think you could definitely have more species. It's hard to it's hard to say for sure without seeing live ones and you know doing DNA testing. But I I wouldn't be surprised if most of them hold up. Biocensis is interesting. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of animals that are unique on Bioc, so it's it could be one of those situations where even though it's not drastically different snake, that it could have enough genetic difference to be its own thing. But time will, you know, time will tell. I think you probably yeah. have a situation where they were, you know, they you you just can't get animals from the PNG side right. to. Uh, but well, they, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. I would, I would be, I'd probably be. If you told me to pick a side, I'd probably go. I think it's probably. I think it's probably more likely they're different than less likely, I guess. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I buy that. I, it's it's sort of a lumper V splitter thing, but even, like, I see in myself that on some gray bands, I'm a splitter, other stuff, you know, I, I see this stuff and I just don't necessarily totally buy it, you know. It's like, well, you got one well, I think it's really It's really difficult thing. because you're talking about preserved snakes. So, I mean, whatever light, color, behavioral difference, you're never going to know. You know, sometimes uh, captivity is good at showing us differences that science doesn't pick up on because science is looking at dead animals that don't, you know, they've kind of lost their essence, so to speak. Right. um, (laughs) I think... And they have they're, fundamentally changed on their way to the jar, sure. You know, whether it's the color of the bag or whatever, sure. There's a, I mean, there's definitely, you know, the, the captive animal trade has has been ahead of science in quite a few cases. Um, 
you know, it took years for the two, uh, the, well, the green pythons. I mean, I thought that was, I thought for years yeah. they weren't the same yeah. thing. The, um, you know, the, what is it, emerald tree boas. You know, it took, how long did it take science to figure that sure. out? But people in captivity have been keeping them different for 20 years. Same thing with the white lips. It was like no-brainer. You got the black ones in the south, the gold ones in the north. I mean, you know, we yeah. Uh, there was there's definitely periods of time where captive keepers were way ahead of science as far as realizing speciation, and sometimes, you know, we won't we'll never have access to those animals on the PNG side. So some of those subtle differences that might not be as subtle once they're alive and in right. your hands. Well, if we were exposed to them, sure. Yeah. No, I, I, so it's, that's, it's that's really fair. hard to say. And as far as the biogeography of the P, the PNG side, there's there's a lot of uh, potential areas of endemism, uh, you know, where you sure. can have, I think you can clearly have other stuff. And the Huang Peninsula really stands out for an area of speciation. So I'd, I'd put money on those ones. Um, the, I mean, I have, you know, the other ones, it's hard to say what they look like in real life as far as right. if there's yeah, I a lot of my, my pessimism on the subject was just related to anytime you're describing something you know, off a single specimen that's a single preserved, previously preserved specimen, I'm a little skeptical. <laughs> yeah, say, I mean, you, you know, know, the funny thing is there's been, there's been turtle species described off of one, you know, shell found in uh, a, you know, a food market in some place that you know where it yeah. came from. They just know <laughs> somewhere around here, <laughs> and oh, they described yeah. it as a species before they even had any idea where it was from. So I don't know. It'll be interesting whether there's ever any phylogenetic work with them, any live, you know, pictures of live ones or people actually finding them. That'd be a that'd be a fun adventure to go try to find some of that. <laughs> For sure. <clears throat> That's cool. So um, what um what well one other thing one other kind of key point that I wanted to hit on in the context of the room was it seems like say ball pythons, maybe blood pythons, green pythons, you have Principally, you keep small groups of, stuff, of a lot of different things, right? It'll be, oh, I have a pair or a trio or whatever of a bunch of different stuff. How does that work out? Because that, that's very different from, right, what a lot of people do where they say, okay, I'm focusing on these handful of things and I have a lot of these things. In terms of being a commercial breeder, how, do, how does that work out to have a pair of successfully breeding southern white lips and a reverse trio of northern and that sort of stuff? Um, I mean, it's worked for me so far. Would it be better if I had more animals? I think, yeah. I mean, uh, but being, trying to do it professionally, I have to balance, um, you know, what is real marketable and easy to sell and quick, you know, to make money. And then there's stuff that I just want to keep, whether I make a dime or not. And so it's kind of, you kind of walk a fine line. Um, the pendulum has has swung a little bit as far as the Indo stuff doesn't seem to be coming in quite as 
much as it used to. Um, so your prices are up a little bit, which helps when you're breeding that stuff. So there's a little more incentive to have more animals. The, uh, you know, what I like, I would love to have, you know, more white lips and bigger groups of different stuff, but it's it's just all, you know, space dependent. Now, I have a ton of green pythons, so... <laughs> I have quite a few of those. Most of most of them aren't adults, but I will I will eventually have quite a quite a few of those. The uh, the other stuff, it's you know you just have to balance how much room you have with how many things you have. And so far, I've done pretty well with just pairs of stuff. Um, but sometimes it's not going to work out for me, and I'll have to learn that with each one as I get to that point. So. At this point, most of what I mostly have pairs and, you know, small groups of different stuff and then large groups of a few commercial stuff. Cool. Um, I'm curious, uh, so we got about 15 minutes, but I'm curious, is there anything that uh, you'll be checking off the list this upcoming season? Um, I, I mean, I've got... Um, there's things I can try for the first time. I don't know if I will try. Um, I have some scrubs that are probably about ready to breed, but I don't know if I'll have them in cages. I still have them in racks right now, and I don't know that I'll try to breed them if I still just have them in the racks. Um, what kind of scrubs? Like, yeah. Uh, the Wamina Jayapura type. Nice. Okay. So they're real fun because they're not, they're a lot more tractable than all the other ones. So that's been a fun thing to have. Right. And they're probably, they're the probably on the cut. What was that? Are those sort of that classic Wamina real pixelated look to them? Yeah. 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 They're real, they're real nice. You can actually you know, just play with them like a car, you know, like a metal snake. They'll still pee on you sometimes, but. You can you can handle them. The uh, my Timor pythons are big enough to try. Uh, I paired them up last year, but um, didn't get a whole lot of interest. Uh, I left them alone a lot, so I don't know. They might have been doing more than I thought they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll hopefully be be trying them again. Uh, the dumb eye, obviously, I'll keep trying them till they're in the ground. The, right. Uh, okay. Um, what else? I guess my Metcalf and I are probably, they're probably close to getting, I could probably try them. I don't know. I have to talk to some people and see how big theirs were. But I think, I think my pairs probably, I could probably try them. Um, trying to think if there's anything, anything else to try. Um, my top ones are too small. My retakes are too small. So, yeah, that's still too small. Like what are the regular pop ones? ones? Hold on. Yeah, yeah. hold on. <laughs> huh? Like poplin pythons or poplin carpet pythons? No, poplin all of are, you know, poplin pythons, not... Apidora. No, I've, I've read I Apidora. Poplin gotcha. Okay. So what's the story on those? Huh? What Apidora do you have? I just have a pair. I got a ready wild cup pair. Well, I guess my males okay. really beat up. My females are not bad. My males 
you can tell he's had it rough. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Poor guy. <laughs> but they're doing good. The uh, the male's big. He's probably. I mean, he's. I'm sure he can breed. No problem. The female's about half his size. So. Wow. What is he? Eight or nine they feet like each other. Uh, I'd say he's probably eight, six, seven, eight feet, something like that. Hmm. I'm sure yeah. he's a breed. Yeah, I can't remember what size they said. I think that's around the size that they said the males were, right? Isn't it? Yeah, they don't. The males don't get all that big. It, the female thing, at least the one yeah. I had that big adult female that pretzel out was cheap, but she was a monster. So. Man, they're strong snakes. <laughs> yeah, they're like Velcro. They <laughs> yeah. Whew. Very cool, but you know. Well, that's cool. Yeah, they're probably, they of... like to bluff at you and try to smack you with their head. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, my female is real jumpy. You can actually handle her once you get her out and you're messing with her. She's fine, but. Man, my daughter, she she looks at her and she like charges at her, she freaks her out, she runs to <laughs> the front of the room. It's hilarious. Charging the punch. And she's like, "That's a biter." <laughs> like, wow, she's she's not that bad. You just gotta get her out. And even then, she won't bite you. You just gotta she'll just punch you. <laughs> punch you yeah. with her head. Well, they squeeze the crap out of you, man. They're like they yeah. hold on to you. Well, when you have you don't hold on to them. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Talk about an arboreal snake, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That You're the cool. tree. Yeah. See, I was forced to tear them up. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Maybe that'll give Eric and I to check that out. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll know the first time I throw them together. <laughs> One of the three options will happen, right? <laughs> That's what I've been told. Pretty much, you got three chances. Three, three things are going to happen: indifference, love, or death. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, you're either going to have attempted homicide or <laughs> nothing, oh, or babies, <laughs> right. or hopefully down the road. Okay, sure. Cool. All right. Um, I guess, uh, I don't know, uh, I guess, Ryan, you have uh, Molecular Reptile on uh, Facebook, and you also have a website, MolecularReptile.com, right? That's right. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, Anything else? Well, go ahead, Rob. <laughs> no, I was just laughing at you, man. What? Three years, four years on at this point, you're still going miraculous. It's that Philly in you. You just can't get it out, man. I can't get it out, man. I can't get it out. Molecular. It's a yeah. tongue twister. Say it five times fast. I can't do it, man. I, I say water. Yes, yeah, Philly, you I, can't I, do it. <laughs> I don't say water. I say water. You know, what can I do? I can't help where I was That's born. Right. <laughs> you know, you got that local dialect. Yeah. So... Awesome, man. Well, uh, you know, uh, we look, I want to, you know, put up some pictures of what the rest of the room looks like when you get all the snakes in there so we can, uh, check it out. And, uh, yeah. Well, it's pretty bare right now. It's just all my racks. I got a lot of places to put cages, but I have, you know, it's going to take a while to build all the cages. So. Oh, you build them yeah, you uh, yourself. 
Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's cool, man. I saw that. You were posting pictures of building the green python cages, right? Yeah, I had uh, a bunch of scraps from previous projects, and so I just went and took, went and figured out what I had enough to build. So I built the last one out of cutoffs from all the other projects. So. You do them out of PVC? Is that what you're building out of? No, or... they're out of uh, HDP, high density HDP. polyethylene. Okay. Why do you choose to do it yourself? Just cheaper. You can do a custom um, the way you want well, it's it. Not terribly, it's not terribly cheaper. Yeah. The plastic I use is pretty expensive. But, um, yeah, I do it to get exactly what I want. So, I mean, most people's cages are designed for, uh, I think they build them for unheated rooms. You know, there's not much ventilation in most cages. Um, and so I prefer to make them myself and then I can put Mostly, most leave most of the top open. Yeah, okay. And you use what basically like a, a bulb hotspot as a hotspot type of deal, or uh, for the uh, top cages along the ceiling, then yeah, I just use like a 30 watt ceramic heat emitter. Gotcha. Oh, okay. And then, I, and then I don't have to worry about a thermostat or anything. Right. So. At least yeah. with an open top. If I had a closed top, then I'd have to worry about it. Right. Right. Huh. Okay. Cool. Well, yeah, so you just screw it together and get your plastic welder out and plastic weld the bottom and you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Are you using, uh, using glass for the for the fronts or acrylic? Uh, glass. I, make, um, I actually make a door frame out of inch and a half or it's inch and a half wide and three-eighths thick, and then mm-hmm. I cut a half-inch deep channel in it, and then I put the glass inside of it, and then I plastic weld the door into one piece once the glass oh, is okay. in. Very cool. Eric, I think yeah, this a... is the fundamental point of this whole discussion, is that Ryan's pretty handy, whereas you and I are... <laughs> I think that's kind of a critical time. Yeah, yeah, Ryan's very handy. Like, all I'm hearing from this is like, okay, Ryan's got all this stuff, and I'm like, okay, so Mitch Hedberg style, my toolkit is my wallet. You know, I I don't know (laughs) that this is any more accessible to me. Yeah. Well, that's why I have a problem is I want my shop back so I can actually build stuff. Because right now I've just got this little – I have a big garage, and between the two snake rooms that are – currently in it and the mouse room I basically have this tiny sliver of a shop and that's just unacceptable so <laughs> that's why half of, this, that, half of this move was to get more shop back so. okay oh gosh now we find out the real reason <laughs> right I, I feel like you know we've hit on a, an important point here relative to our futures going forward <laughs> right yeah. yeah, the building building your room and all that it definitely comes in handy if you are, if you are handy it it helps. Yeah, I can do the drywall and all that stuff, and I can I can do it. I'm just not good at at figuring it out. You know, like you tell me what to do, I can do it. The figuring it out is uh, where I struggle. But I'm probably like Rob, just because of time purposes. 
I I right. do it with my, my wallet. Thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's like uh, I I just don't have time, you know. And then when well, you I'm have a uh, reader, so my wallet doesn't go very far. Right. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> you got time, but yeah, I hear you. Man. It's cool though, man. Yeah, it's cool, man. This is an awesome job. I love the room. It looks really, really good. Uh, you Super know, sure. wish you the best of yeah. luck with it, you know? And uh, Yeah, we'll see this winter how it performs with uh, its first breeding season. So. Are you nervous about that at all? Are you, is that? Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's way, it's insulated way better than my old one. So right. I, but it had, but I put windows in it. The other one didn't have windows. So if it's, if it's over insulated, I can compensate with opening windows. But right. Open the windows. I doubt I'll have to windows. do that. Right. Yeah. Huh. So far it's performed well. great in the heat. I don't think it'll perform poorly in the cold. Right. Just don't drop well. any crocs on that uh, floor, man, or else they're going to be a million pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the water bowls, when you drop them on there, they don't recover from mm-hmm. that. <laughs> yeah, they're not bouncing back. Yeah. No, those yeah. ceramic it's water bowls get there, and it's, uh, it's well, you better just get the broom out. Right. So. <laughs> cool deal. All right. Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to hit on, Ryan, or, uh, you know, uh, we got like two minutes left live, so. No, no problem. Um, yeah, I don't know. So what's with, why is Rob on there? What happened to the other guy? Owen? Yeah, no, we fired him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's Owen? No, no, he's going to, uh, he headed out to Daytona. Daytona. Yeah, oh, okay. so, yeah, he, he's getting on a plane. No offense, uh, Rob. I do like Rob. It's not a problem. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I, Dude, I was looking forward to having you on. Now you're just going talking shit. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, no worries. You know, I was just there's curious. A, what, I was just, my curiosity was peaked. There's a certain chemistry, Rob, that Owen and I have that, uh, you right? know, <laughs> it's hard to, uh, You'll get there. it's like Larry and BT, man. That, yeah. Right. You'll it, get yeah. There. It's just this third it's wheel. Time. Well, yeah. at least I would hope that my connection's better than Omax where he's running through some internet where he's trying to half ass it because he's paying all these peelers in Birdsboro, you know, that's the only thing I can say. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, no, poor Omac. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, thanks as always, Ryan. It's always a blast talking uh, to you about uh, you know what you got going on. Uh, wish you a good season and uh, good luck with the new room, man. And well, I appreciate forward... it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime. Thanks care and be safe on your travel. All right, man. All right, see, see ya. All right, later. Very, very cool, man. I always like talking to Ryan. He's a, he's a cool guy. So you learn how to build a reptile room, man. You ready to expand? Are you, are you, are you uh, I have absolutely thinking? no space to expand. So oh. I'm really glad to you, man. But uh, oh, okay. maybe going Gonna forward look- in the distant future, it'll be a thing. But yeah, not right now. Right Here now, is no a way. Tangible possible thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I got to get that going, you know. Uh, well, we'll time, time, time. Here, I expect there's going to be something cooking, man. Maybe, yeah, maybe I don't that's know. What you're going to put me and Chris to doing. I don't know. Maybe that's your <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I just didn't tell you guys yet. Chop, you're coming chop. a month early, and uh, you know, put right? you to work. Seriously, you come <laughs> come out six weeks before, and we'll do this. You know. Right. We'll make it happen. So. Although I was thinking about that, I know you were talking to Omac about this, and. The expandable cage thing, you know, here's here's the unsolicited pitch. Bowfile actually does this thing, you know, that you and Owen were talking about, where you can work stuff where it's three footers into six footers into, and then you're combining them to make eights and twelves and all this stuff. The expandable mm-hmm. expandable dividable stuff. Bowfile mm-hmm. does that. That's the one cage manufacturer that does that, and that's what I've used. So I have some right now that are three footers that you can divide to a foot and a half. Um, right. and it'll work the same way to turn two three-footers into six-footers and that sort of stuff. And I think that's your play, man. Using that stuff myself, that's that's the way to go. Yeah, you know, I yeah, was thinking about that. that. To... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was definitely thinking about that. Uh, you know, I always have in my mind, like, you know, do I do caging? Do I do continue with racking? Do I do a mix of both, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, I think, uh, you know, the one thing, because my males are so small, I didn't want to get like this huge cage, Sure. you know, um, and, you and know, you know me, I, I always think they like, they actually, most things prefer smaller spaces, you know, in yeah. terms of, especially from a start, if you, if you get a thing and you can start it in a space and then you as it either as it grows or it becomes more comfortable, you know, you can have a, a big thing and put it in a small space and if it's comfortable in that small space, you can slightly expand and, and work out, you know, but right. I actually, you know, I'm with you, man. And I think that expandable caging is the way to go where you say, okay, I, heck man, you could put a, it sounds crazy, but you could put a five and a half foot poplin in a one and a half by two foot by two foot cage. Right, that's one quarter of your situation on a pallet, a six foot pallet rack. You know, that's right. one half of one three footer. You can put it in there, and if it eats, okay, and does really well, bump it into the three foot section. So now it's half of it. And right. I'm telling you, that's the way to go. Like, people overthink this stuff and, and just, well, it's not about how's the thing doing, it's about how would. Pre- people perceive it if they came and saw it. Would they say, oh, that's too small? You know, like, it. go based on those, not based on the U.K. regulations. Ah, hitting, hitting a point from the messenger thread. Um, you know, but actually, how would they do? You know, we don't have those regulations, so how would they actually do in the state and go and work out from there? And I think you're going to do great. But, I mean, yeah, that, I, big, that second room should just be big. You have enough racks in the small space. Just do big stuff in the other one. You know, do expandable oh, caging. Sure. You can work from small and go to big. Don't even worry about doing racks and stuff in there, unless you do rooms in the back half, in the back quarter or whatever. <laughs> no, I even thought about... Yeah, uh, put a to do that. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I was going to do that whole back, be the uh, the baby racks. Um Baby racks in that, or an incubator. In that back. Room yeah. 
we talked about I've talked about that as well, you know, trying to trying to think about that. But um yeah, it's it's either gonna be one or the other. But I was thinking if I move those baby racks out of that room that, you know, I can either put some some caging and stuff in there or, you know, put the racks all in the one room and caging in the yeah. other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. So I'd have a rack room, a cage room, and a cold room. <laughs> yeah, yeah I probably man. spend you, you all my some, time in the stuff. cage room. <laughs> yeah, well, you got some killer stuff in there, man. And I saw yeah. it, and then it was gone. I saw Martin had posted up one of those. Uh, he had bought one of those reduced pattern diamonds from Greg. Did you see that thing? Did you buy it? No, no. Did you see that thing? I did so he not. Bought, I he had some female, like either a six, I think a sixteen, and I saw it in King Snake, and it was like eight nothing, eight fifty shipped because it only fly or something. And it looked great, portions were great, all this stuff. Um, and then, sure enough, man, it was gone. I was I was like, ooh, that's interesting. And then it was gone. Wow. Yeah, those things, man, they sell quick. I mean, that's hard to beat. I know uh Greg Heim, he has uh uh he has a fe- uh, yeah, female on uh she's maternal incubating a clutch. I don't know if you saw her, but outstanding. So I think he's doing reduced pattern to reduced pattern uh this that's year. Killer, man. Well, it'll just prove what we know and they'll all be reduced pattern babies and they'll be they'll be cool, man. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, yeah. I haven't seen that. I gotta watch, I gotta track that now that you said that. But yeah, that's uh, they're they're just super sharp. It's not even the morph. They're super sharp examples where it's like there's no question those are diamond pipes. You know, that's what I like mm-hmm. about those. It, it's it's not like oh, it's the morph or the yellow and the the cheeks and you know into the upper upper third of the body and stuff. It's just like mm-hmm. those are very clearly diamond pipes. That's why those are so sharp to me. Right. Yeah. You know, there's no, I don't know, that's a jungle, that's a coastal. There's none of that. It's like, <laughs> that's a none diamond light on. Like, right. <laughs> you know, it's not about the war. It's like, oh, you look at that thing and you say, that's a diamond light on. Not, oh, well, that's a rosette. You know, you have four or six rosettes touching each other. You know what I mean? Like. Right. That to me is the the distinguishing factor with those where it's like it's not about the morph, it's those are very clearly what they are. You know, and that's what I think is so cool about those. I'm with you, man. When I seen them, you know, I God, this is going back to two thousand and nine, I think was the first time you know, and Greg, he would always be uh you know, be posting it up. And I'm like, dude, uh, you know, I, I got on his list before that, when that animal was born, <laughs> you know, it was like, <laughs> I'm like, you have to put me on the list for when you breed that thing, man. Cause I need one like that, you know? So I got well, lucky. No doubt, man. Nine years in, you are the king of the long play for sure. There's no, <laughs> no question. No one beats you for the long play. <laughs> You got to be first, man. You got to be first to get the goods, right? you know. So whether it's whether it's those or you with OMAC and the high contrast Queensland, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> you're you hit the long play on the head. I did wait a long time with that man, a long, long time. Well, then <laughs> you were just screwing with them, so it's fine. You know, <laughs> don't worry. Pretty about much. That. You know, that was that yeah. was fine. <laughs> Pretty much. 
He's like, are you ever going to buy a snake for me? I'm like, ah, nah, nah. Now that I got you on the podcast, nah, nah. <laughs> nah. Just, nah, uh, I don't think so. Right. You're going to buy snakes. Yeah. He's going to buy snakes from you. That'll happen. You know, and then you convert him into a, a mixed, all mixed up morph guy, you know, and then, <laughs> and then you'll find yeah. you get stuff from him. You know, the oh, thing of gosh. it is, is now we're at the point, me and Owen are at the point where we just give each other snakes. I think that's why yeah. he doesn't breed uh, rough scales, because he doesn't want to give me a pair of rough scales. I mean, I've given him stonewash, bread lie. I've given him, you know what I mean? So he's like holding off. He's like, nah, I'm not He knows that if he does, he's going to have to give you a pair. Yeah, because yeah, I'm going to be I, knocking on his door. I gave him citrus tiger head albinos and jag head albinos and all these things and it's just like here just take it man just take it just take it just hear all these coastals just take them man just take them you know and he's like oh okay you know like the only thing i want is when you breed this everything i want he he can't breed <laughs> so it's like yeah. i'm uh weirdly you know? yeah i don't know what's that about I'm telling you man it's a conspiracy oh max when you're hanging out at the bar in daytona drinking a heineken or stew you know come on think about this <laughs> Maybe this is one show that he's not on that he'll actually listen to. He won't make it this far, but, no, but if he no. does, as soon as Ryan hangs up, he's clicking it, man. Unless he's, he's unless he's, his 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 plane gets delayed. That's the only way that uh, he <laughs> he's stuck on a plane and he doesn't want to listen to people anymore. He may uh, he may do that, but Maybe other than that, it no, it's all love, man. Yeah, yeah. I love Omax. Oh, yeah, man. He's, he's no, one of a kind, And I'm jealous of Daytona, man. He and Matt, they're going to have a great time. Oh, uh, yeah. I know. Yeah, it's that. It's like uh, I feel uh, it's – this is what – well, let me say this. This is what Owen is going to feel like similar Yeah. when we go to Australia. I mean, it's going to be like uh, you guys, you guys are going to have a good time. And I'm stuck at work. <laughs> We're going to be like, you know, uh, over in Australia yeah, checking yeah, out yeah. Uh, hopefully some cool shit. And uh, he'll be stuck at work. Whatever we do, whatever, whatever plays out, we're going to see some, we're going to see something and it'll be fun. That's yeah. that. I promise that man. That's all I promise. You know, well, whatever we do, that'll be true. We're going to see some shit. And we're going to have had a good time. Absolutely. And Absolutely. we're probably going to need a shower. Those, all those things will be true. Yeah. You know, today I was working in my yard, right? And I'm working in my yard and I'm, I'm sweating my ass off out there. And I'm like cutting weeds and bushes and all kinds of shit and scrubbing pools and, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, God damn, what the hell is that? And I just took a shower too. And I'm like, Oh man, this is gonna be rough when we're in Australia. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm man. Smelling myself like, oh shit. <laughs> I better yeah, figure something out. Be, but that's what you do, man. It's just you're gonna go and then you're gonna do you know. It's fun. I, As I say, you know, I alluded to it with Ryan where it's like this is a first for me. You know, first for you, first for me. You know, I've done all the I've lived in Europe, I've done all that stuff. Everyone presents it as, oh, well, it's Europe plus the Lapids or whatever. Well, we'll see. You know, I'll see if that's my experience. And, you know, I'm I'm anxious to do that. And then 
ship, man. I'm anxious to get back there. I'm anxious to go to Indonesia. You know, I think that'll be. I'm up. I'm game. You know, everyone else is a poser, man. I'm game. <laughs> I'm in, man. You know, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, uh, I was looking. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when you hear Ari uh, talk about, uh, you know, going to, uh, where does he come in at? He comes in at what? Uh, Meraki, right? Isn't he around that area when, when he's like his base camp or whatever, like when he comes in? Well, I think he's he flies probably even north. So he's probably hitting, so he's going to Jakarta or Bali, and then he's going to get Jakarta. over over there. Yeah, right. I mean, so that's the thing, man. I literally, you know, I ran the flight searches to Meraki, and there was literally not, it wouldn't do it. That's what I'm telling you, dude. It wouldn't do it. Like, wow. Like, oh, so you got to know somebody. It wouldn't do it. But, like. Well, we just got to get there, and that, you know, I was telling Matt, you know, I'm just like, personally, I'd like to go to North Vietnam. I'd like to do all these things, you know. So I'm open to all these different permutations. You know, but I was look. I looked that up, and it was like, no, it wouldn't even run it. So it's like that's one where you got to get there, and then you figure it out. Indonesia, you got to get there and figure it out. I don't know if Matt Matt's OCD can even handle that, but that's the truth. Yeah, um, I think. Uh, <laughs> I thought I lost you there for a second. <laughs> no, 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 no. Somebody just messed. Yeah, me just taking it in. Yeah. Yeah, I was doing that, and uh, so I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, like, man, it would be freaking awesome, you know. I'm gonna see carpets in in uh, Australia, and you know, the difference is, I think, just in my opinion, is is seeing carpets in in uh, Papua New Guinea. It would be mm-hmm. that. Um, Man, somebody keeps messaging me. Anyway, um, would be the fact that you don't in, in Australia you have people that actually are there and like are talking. Not right. that we there are people. Yeah, so time. you know they yeah. can you can personally talk to them on Facebook about what the environment is like. You know, Scott's always sending us pictures of coastals on his in his uh, sure. backyard on his fence, and you know what the temperature is and and all that kind of stuff. But like. To see, you know, it's one thing, to, again, I go keep going back to this, but it's one thing to, you know, read it in a book, but like when you're physically there in the environment, taking it in, feeling what, you know, what's the humidity like, what's the temperature like, you know, what are these little micro habitats like all around? Like when you find the snake, is it, is it in a cooler spot, even though, you know, the, it's like, uh, you know, a hundred percent humidity and, you know, hundred degrees or whatever, you know, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, it's just like all oh, these totally. things that you would learn, uh, you know, like is, do you see the snakes out in the afternoon when it's, when it's the temperature that we're looking on the internet, when we're trying to figure out how to keep these things the way that they're supposed to be kept, that's the most beneficial for them. I mean, you know, I think I read a blog from Scott Borden and he does a pretty good job with these blogs and stuff. But the thing he, he did today was this whole debate that, has been up as of recent. We kind of hit on it on the last show, but the racks versus cages type of thing. And, um, you know, I think, I think one of the things that he talked about in, 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 in the blog, and I think that he's right. is like, you know, we think that 
we know, but do we really know? And we really haven't pushed forward, you know, snake quote unquote keeping uh, in years because, you know, everybody's content with what works, but nothing's getting pushed forward. If, if you know what I mean. And I'm not saying you have to go yeah. bioactive substrate and all that kind of stuff, but you, know, <laughs> you don't have to I'm, get all reptile and chill trivia. Just cause you're going on a game <laughs> show doesn't mean you got to bring that up, man. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anti bio substrate, but I'm just saying like, I, I don't, I, is that what's that? I'm hearing you to say that you're completely anti bioactive substrate. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> no, you know, at the end of the day, what I say is that you are the only one that's there in your snake room dealing with your snakes. So if you're doing the right yeah, thing, I would tell you to do is, is that adjust to whatever that snake is telling you. Like you heard Ryan tonight talk about, you know, if I say it, people are probably like, yeah, he's a, he's an idiot, whatever, you know. Uh, but when you know, Ryan, with all this experience behind him and breeding all these different species, said the exact same thing that I said years ago about the Halmahara scrub, is that he kept right. it in a cage, it did better in Iraq. So when you have a species okay. like that, that you're trying to it, just get it to reap, just get it to stay alive in captivity, I don't want to hear some Facebook chump tell me, that how to keep my snake when he's not even anywhere he or she has not even been in my snake room or even looked at the snake i don't know man you you do it how that's you do you it go on facebook but <laughs> well that's true you got an <laughs> so obligation true. but I, I i don't so you know whatever yeah <laughs> I, i've been i've been nah. staying off it more and more but you know what i'm saying like you know at the end of the day no, I, I think totally that do, man don't listen to what people I mean, are saying. I, like you take their advice and then you look at your snakes. I mean, if somebody tell, like I just seen it tonight, they were talking about on the carpet discussion page about what temperature to keep a coastal at, you know, and you know, the old 90 degree hotspot thing. And that's what Nick Mutton does. I mean, and he's not wrong, but that's not what I do. Yeah, and I'm not you wrong. better. Well, and if you're doing that, then your room temperature is going to be lower and you can lower your, Nighttime drop and all the all this it all works together. None of it is Correct. just like cookie cutter. You know, it's all bait. It all references itself, right? Right. That's that's right. the whole point. It's not whether it's feeding or lights or humidity or what, whatever it is. All of it works together in your situation, so that you can say, okay, I can run. I mean, heck, even my hot spots are hotter than yours when I have mom, but they're on twelve twelve. But then, you know, they compensate because the room changes. My room changes much more than yours does. Are we doing right. the same thing? Yeah, fundamentally, yes. But everything's within, a, it's a whole different paradigm, right? You know, my room will hit 65 come yeah. two months, three months from now. Yours will not. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, right. we're just talking about 63, 60, whatever it is. Whereas you're saying, well, my low, maybe in my lowest cage is in my, at the lowest temperature outside, it'll be 69 or 70 or something like that. And it's like, okay, that that works fine. But right. all those things are pieces, eight years, seven years, eight years, whatever it is, deep on the show, beyond all the extra years of keeping stuff and all that stuff. It's like all that works together. And you can't just say, 
Well, Eric told me that you can only go to 70. If it goes below 70, then everything's dead. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, that's not true. But you uh. have to do all these other things. If you were following your protocol and you dropped it to 60 in the entire room, maybe that's a problem. Right. right. You know, but that's because it's just one component. But right. when you view it as a everything's a system, I mean, heck, man, I told you about our crazy weather today, severe thunderstorm morning, I thought the power was going to go out. And then we've had an ozone watch, you know, hey, combine your errands, do all this stuff for weeks, literally weeks now on end because of wildfires in California. Like, here, I can't see the mountains. Weirdly, I can't see the mountains for weeks. Because of stuff going on in California, that's what, two or three states away at least, depending on right. how you take it. Right. You know, we've talked about this in the context of planet Earth before, where it's like it's all it's too complicated. I the the Earth works in ways that are too complicated for my mind, and I'd like to think that that means most everyone else's mind as well. You know, where it's just there's too much to take in. We can't account for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like there's so many contributing factors. There's a reason I can't see the mountains, and it's wildfires in California. That that's crazy to me when I right. when I view it through that lens. But at the same time, no, that's that's a fact. It doesn't matter whether I can understand it, appreciate it, figured that out myself. That's a fact. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Like it doesn't matter. Nature doesn't care whether I came to that conclusion or figured it out. It doesn't change the fact that it is a fact. That's what's going yeah. on, you know. Sure. It doesn't matter whether it's comprehensible to me. It doesn't change whether it's true. Right. You know. So, no, I'm totally with you, man. That was long diversion, you know. Whatever. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Where it's yeah. just like, it's all a system. Do what works for you. Hey, I still say we gotta have Eugene back on the show, you know, because it's like, what is what's the lesson of this? You tell me. What's what's the overarching lesson? Eight years deep. The you award. broke up. What what did you say? You broke up a little bit. So you said Eugene back on the show. Eight years deep. What's eight years in? What's the lesson of the show? Be a what? Student of the service. <laughs> yeah. Darn right, man. I mean, Not that's the greatest generally, thing I ever learned. But yours, I mean, right? Yours. Right. Not not even generally. Yours in your space. Yep. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I mean, that's why I keep going back to what I'm saying. Like, you know, it, it's. I think people, we're not baking cakes, man. We're not baking cakes and like you can just see in the difference between, you know, how West Coast is different than the East Coast or the North is different than the South or Midwest or, you know what I mean? I mean, there's all these different, it's just like you say, man, there's so many factors that come into play. You sort of have to figure out, you know, I was listening to From the Ground Up podcast and they had a guy who was out there on the West Coast and basically he was talking about breeding pythons and he doesn't do anything, you know? Um, right. because the, you know, just how it is the difference between, you know, the West coast and the East coast. Um, I think personally, from what I, well, from what I've seen, I've never been out on the West coast, but talking to people out there, it seems like for breeding what 
at least for breeding carpet pythons, the East Coast is kind of a prime spot because you get that drop and you still have the humidity uh, going on. Um, so you have a humidity change, but it never goes to zero like it does on the West Coast. No. Yeah. I, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. No, I, so I don't it. struggle well, that, with that. The funny yeah. thing, dude, the, the, the crazy thing to me, you said bacon a cake. Dude, here in the Rocky Mountains, when I have to bake a cake, you know, if I go purchase Duncan Hines cake mix, I have to use the high altitude recipe. I have to cook right. it for longer at a different temperature and all this stuff. Even the cake mix says, <laughs> hey, actually, if you're above whatever it is, 4,000, 5,000, whatever it is, right? Certainly I qualify. It's a different, you have to do something different. Even the cake mix isn't yeah. the same. Sure. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a good example, actually. <laughs> that's like perfect. Right. You know? I mean, that's the even, you know, the perfect thing of like, oh, everywhere it's this, except even on something as standard as a cake mix, some, something that's not organic and alive, right? That, that's going this way. It's like, oh, actually, even this, fundamentally, if you don't do this, you don't recognize that you're in a different spot, it's going to be all screwed up. Yeah. You can just feel, you know, you know, it's weird. You know, you talk about breeding snakes and how they pick up on outside triggers and stuff. And I was driving to work yesterday and it was raining and it was like, it was like, you know how, like when you have like that pre thunderstorm roll in, yeah. it's not really raining hard, but you know, you'll drive through these little spurts of rain or whatever, but you know that there's a big storm coming. You, I mean, you could see it, you know, it's coming, but uh, you could just feel the chain, even though it was what 90 degrees here today or so in that morning sure, time, you, when that it's drop. Like, you can feel yeah. the difference that fall is coming. Like there's just a different feel to fall. And I don't know if, like, and I've never been to the West Coast, but did they have that same kind of seasonal change out there? The same type of thing? I mean, it, no, it's, it's different, profoundly though, right? different. Right. It, yeah, it's different. I was gonna. I was thinking you meant that, and I felt that today, but it wasn't in a a seasonal thing. It was literally. I mean, there's only. It didn't get that hot today. It was maybe mid 80s something like that. But right. it felt like an oven. Um, and then. We had here when we get rain, it doesn't come like you get where it's like, oh, what you talking about? A little bit of rain, then there's a lot, and then whatever, and it progresses. Here it's there's nothing, nothing, nothing. End of days, it's the apocalypse for ten minutes, and then there's nothing. Um, but we have that this afternoon, and I could feel. I opened all the windows, and you could feel. It. You know, you could just feel right. that all of a sudden it dropped ten degrees. Within 15 minutes, the temperature outside dropped 15 degrees, you know, and that's a profound change. And I, I just know that everything here is feeling, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's grasshoppers outside or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Me, damn it, me, dull as I am, standing at the window saying, oh, yeah, I can really feel the difference. You know, that if, yeah. if I'm, if me not being particularly perceptive feel that, I know that all this other stuff is really, really feeling. Yeah, because I feel like, and I don't, I guess this is the best way to say this, is like, I think that human nature 
at this point, we're detached from nature. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, we, we don't yeah. feel it the same way that animals pick up on these cues. <clears throat> and if I feel it, and you're saying you feel it different, <laughs> you know, imagine yeah. what they feel. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's, it, it must oh, yeah. be, you know, tiniest trigger for them is probably huge. I mean, the tiniest trigger for us is probably a huge trigger for them. And, They're feeling uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell. You can just look. And again, it goes back to that thing that Eugene said, you know, and I, I you know, it sounds easier said than done, but I think about, you know, um, how it must have been getting these species to come in and try to breed them when they've never been bred before. You know, like, how do I figure this out? Totally. You know, and it, and it's not like, you can say today, you know, Bolins, you know, they haven't been bred really that, you know, much. And people haven't really figured out the the key to it. Helma Harris scrubs haven't been bred, you know, but at least you right. have I something mean, are, to base it off of. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like you could talk to somebody that's bred scrub pythons sure. or you could talk to somebody that's bred a Bolins right. python. Now, to, now to is not that different. Like seeing Chris, you know, have success with Maltez, like made me that much more homes are not that far off. You just have to have the right critters and the right person's hands. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, I totally get exactly. you. Versus saying, literally, what the hell is this dragon in my in this cage? Right? Right. Where you're saying, like, <laughs> I don't even yeah. know what this What is this? Yeah. Right. No, I, I'm, no I'm totally with you. There's no internet. There's no Facebook. There's no, there's no group. <laughs> you know, there's, there's nothing. You got, you got a snake that came in a bag on a boat. And then it left a month ago, and now it turned up. The thing's nearly dead. What am I going to? I mean, we we poked fun at some of the green python stuff earlier. I'm I'm not poking fun at Trooper, right? You know, in those mm-hmm. folks, and even their methodology. I get no. it. You know, it's influ- Everything's influenced by what you have, your experience, right? And if you're getting, if they were getting PNG stuff that was naturally bigger. And you're getting these things and you're saying, well, heck, the thing that turned out was 1,800 grams or at least 1,800 grams once I hydrated it. You know, it went from 1,400 to 1,800, right? And now now it looks good and then it did something and it's, it, well, lived and then it spread and those babies hatched and all this stuff. I get that, how that would shape your expectation, right? And yep. that's normal and acceptable and all all these things it all makes sense to me you know where we have to i i can both respect that and say you know what it turns out that if you have a womina congro that it can a female can breed 700 grams or whatever whatever it is you know what i mean those are sure. those can be different things both can be true both experiences can be right and we can just move on ahead and say, you know what? I my human brain needs to expand to accept that both things are right. Both both yeah. experiences are true, and that's where, honestly, that's that's where all this runs into problems. Is is not what the things are telling us. It's our willingness to accept those things and say, actually, both these things are right. No. You guys always get into Facebook and everything being right or wrong, cages versus right. The answer is 99.9% of the time, the answer is situational, right? Both can be right. 
depending on the situation. You guys just have this conversation. And that's the answer, is that 99.99% of the time, you could sell me on either. Just give me your facts, right? And then say, yeah. okay, and here's my facts and results. And then we say, oh, it's racks, it's cages, it's whatever. It's a one-and-a-half by two by two cage versus a six by two by four cage or whatever, right? You know, it's like you, any of those can work. It's it's all fact-dependent, but we as humans are shitty at accepting that variation. We like black and white, not, you know, variations of gray and life is gray. Yeah. Well, we get on teams too. You know what I mean. And and yeah. that was sort of my I'm point team, that I was I'm trying to make cage, last I'm night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if if I'm on team cage, then you know, and you keep in a rack, even though you're having success, you must be a piece of shit. And all you care about is money and morphs and da 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 da. And if you're in a cage, you're some elitist person. Then all you care about is uh, how fancy can I make? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, man, we're yeah. all on the same team at the end of the day. You know, like. Maybe, maybe try to understand why that, and, you know, and, and I think that's why, in my opinion, on why we haven't pushed, you know, captive care of, of snakes forward is because we get into these camps. And if you're in that camp, man, you are not listening to the other side. It's, it's just like with politics. It's the same exact thing, man. You can't, yeah. Yeah. like, if you're on team, whatever team you're on, it doesn't matter. If, if your team says that you can't do this, it doesn't matter if you know in your, in your heart or in your mind or whatever that, that that's wrong. It doesn't matter. Your team, this is your talking points. This is what you stick to. You do not alter the script, you know? And it's like, no, nah, man. Yeah, we're dealing with living things, and they're different, you know, and, and each situation is different. I mean, my experience has shown me, like, when I tried to follow a cookie-cutter, you know, program of what to do, I failed every time. When I paid attention to what the snake is telling me to do, not listening to what Joe Schmo says on Facebook and tells me I'm a douchebag because I keep in a rack or I keep this or I do that or whatever, you know, um, or my snakes are, 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 are small and blah, 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 whatever. Okay. But you know, again, I, I think I had pretty good success this year, so maybe I am doing something right for my snakes, you know? And you think you had pretty good success, dude. <laughs> you had great success. Fuck that. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you know, I, to me, oh, no, I, I, I do. I totally do. I just wasn't going to let that stand, man. Fuck that. <laughs> You know, and I always go by, you know, it's funny, another line that stood out to me uh, through all these years of doing this podcast was Will Bird's is like, he based what he talks about on results, right? So if he's going to yeah. tell you to do X, Y, or Z, he bases it off of results, not off of what he thinks or what, you know, what, what the book Some told ideology him to do or, or something. That. Right, exactly. You know, it's like, well, I don't give a shit what the Carpet Python book said. This is what works for me, and I get the best results with it, you know. And yeah. I think the guys that wrote the Carpet Python book would even say the same thing. Like, you can't, you know, they can only sort of push you in a direction of what, you know, obviously there's basic yeah. requirements for, you know, a specific species right. that there's you're working with. to this stuff. Right. Sure. So. But, I mean, no, as you say, I mean, following the political metaphor, as you say, I mean, 
who are the best snakes? Someone who's on the range between a libertarian and a nihilist, right? You know, that's, yeah. that's the answer, yeah, right? right? You know, so true. Like, <laughs> those are the people who do the best. Rhino, I'm sure, would fall into that category. You know, I have no doubt knowing him. You know, where it's like, what would you, because you have people who say, I'm going to, that self-determination, and then it just pull, pulls in this whole scope of what does that mean? You know, the, the overarching mm-hmm. picture. But, like, you know, those are linked by saying, I'm going to drive my experience based on my experience, not based on some ideology. Someone said, oh, I have to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, no, I, I don't even know. That's the whole point is I don't know. I know fundamentally what are things that will work and not work. And then there's mm-hmm. 70% in the middle that it's like, you tell me, man. I have some. I have. I'm looking at it right now, where it's like that one. I have one in a one and a half by two by two, that doesn't do well in a three foot by two by two. You know, right. it wouldn't eat, wouldn't do well. You know, all these things. Whereas in that one and a half by two by two, it does really well. You look at that thing, and it's one of these things where it's like, man, I got that empty fit, and this would be great, but it's I'm very reluctant to move it, you know, even mm-hmm. though it would be awesome for me. It would be awesome right. if that was there, but it's like, I'm reluctant to do that, even though everyone said, you'll have that in a one and a half by two by two, you know, everyone <laughs> would say that. Right. But I am reluctant to put it there because I'm like, yeah, I tried that, and guess what? It didn't do nearly as well. I moved it to that, and then it was gang- it was gangbusters in Iraq. I moved it to that. It was gangbusters. Moved it to the three by two by two, it was was not doing well. I moved it back. It did gangbusters. Now, my human desire is for it to be in that space. That's that's where it goes. My OCD says that's where it goes. That's where it's going to be. But right. I'm reluctant to move it back now because I I know what ha- my I'm letting that experience dictate. Rather than saying my human desire says this is where you go, this is your space, this is what you do. You know? Sure. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Hundred percent, you know. Um and I think I, I never hear this exact thing come up in these conversations. You know, I hear somebody come on and they paint their side and and mo- nine times out of ten I agree with what they're saying, you know. I, I said, Yeah, you make right. good points, you know. I'm open minded, I'm gonna listen to what other people say. And I may take a little bit of information, you know, uh, from that, you know, that's why I like to listen to these podcasts and all, you know, all these reptile podcasts that are out there. And, you know, sometimes they're not even talking about what I'm keeping or whatever, but you can always like, you know, sometimes, sometimes, at least for me, like when you're looking at from outside in, you know, you, you get a different perspective and you sort of say, huh, I never thought about it that way. You know, sometimes when you're too involved in the situation, you, you sort of become closed minded to, you know, new ideas or, or new ways to look in at it. I still swear that, you know, I know a lot of people say that snakes don't need UV, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But like, you know, how, how do we know that? They still puts off UV, man. I mean, like, whether we accept it or not, whether they come out at not, come out or not, or whether they're just getting sort of they're half hidden or they're doing anything. The big hot thing 
does its thing, you know, whether we whether it's necess- a necessity or whether it's, you know, just superfluous to what they do. Now, I'm totally with you, man. <laughs> like, yeah, it I mean, does its thing. Whether they expose themselves to it or not and what they take in and what they use and what's just extra, yeah, I'm with you, man. Yeah, and it's like for the optimal health, are they getting something from that? Like, I know this is probably going to sound right? crazy, and you would probably – you would probably be able to comment on this better than I would, but like, you know, when you put an animal in the sun, do they, do do they excrete an oil on the, on them? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is the, do they protect themselves? Do they do all these things? Is that good? Is that, I don't know, man. All I know is I put UVA bulbs into all my cages. Right. You know, I did that, you know, has it made a difference? I don't know. You know, Ben wouldn't approve, wouldn't say, okay, you can make decisions based on what I can say is I see stuff asking. You know, it's like, is that having a deleterious effect, a negative effect? Is that having a positive? I don't know. It's not a controlled sample because I changed everything. You know? Right. And then in the right. winter, you know, with the rhinos at least, where I don't have extra cage heating, I put in just a regular bulb, you know, but it's got a you know, I put, I'll put in, like, a flood bulb so that they can get some heat off that because there's no other heat. You know, it's just the room plus the, the bulb heat, whereas those right. UVA bulbs don't have heat. And it's like, is there a benefit, a detriment? Whatever. I see stuff do all these different things, you know. Now, you're, here's the problem. You're making me sound like Kevin McCurley, you know, where it's like, oh, I'm watching these things and they're doing all these things. You know, so I sound like, you know, this stuff. Right. By the way, you know, I'm going to try and hook up Kevin because I think he would be fun to have on the show. But, but it's a, you know, at the same token, it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it all means, but I know that the big hot thing puts that stuff out and they have to deal with it, whether they're getting a benefit or they're just having to put up the fences to deal with it. Sure. My human brain can't comprehend, man. I don't know. I don't know what's the answer yeah, to that question. And it's it's almost like. Uh... You know, sometimes, sometimes the way, you know, like we talk about the, the environment being a system and it works with the, you know, the certain things that work and make the other things work. And, you know, it does this because this happens. So like, you know, my thought was always like, yeah, maybe, maybe they don't necessarily need it, but like, maybe that triggers something in them. Um, that, you know, and then it's the same thing with like, uh, you know, a varied diet. You know, no, you can, obviously we've been doing it for how many years you can feed an animal, just rodents and, and you're fine. But like, you know, I was listening, who was it? Uh, might've been reptile and shield podcast that they were talking about ball pythons and like the males, you know, they eat mostly birds in the wild. So are they really going off of, you know what I'm saying? Like you would never hear anybody say, I'm going to feed my ball python birds. And if they did, probably half of Facebook sure. would say, what are you doing? You know, blah, 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 blah. Me, but are they They're only going to eat birds. You know, what are right. you doing? You, you'll never be able to break them into rodents yeah, again. But, yeah, I think of like, you know, we're breeding all these different species of, of pythons and stuff. And, and you see like, you know, blackheads and, and, and lizard eaters and even some carpet pythons where, you know, they're feeding on lizards when they're, they're born, anteresia, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, why won't they eat? It's not because that they're 
they're picky eaters. We're just not giving them what they want to eat. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's just what I mean, it comes that, down that's to. That's the one. Oh, dude, you just, ah, uh, you know what you're doing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that drives me nuts. That drives me nuts. Right. Where it's just like, oh, well, they're not adapted to captivity. They're not going to do this. But if you're talking about stuff where it's like, oh, okay, cool, man. So they've had 10,000 years, 100,000 years, whatever it is, 10 million years. When you're talking carpet pythons and their divergence, right? You know, oh, Imbricata, 14 million years. They've had 14 million years of eating geckos when they're born. That's what they have. Then in the last 8,000 years, they've had rodents, right? What we would recognize as a traditional rodent, you know, an introduced species. It's certainly even tighter than that, 5,000 years, whatever. You know, oh, I've got these imbricata, and they won't eat mouse picking. We'll just call them, you know, you know, we'll, we'll pick for the best one. Okay, two things. One, if you want to take that as true, sure, if you have some little pick mice, great. That's awesome, you know. And maybe they have, maybe there's some, you know, genotypic uh, factor that's driving that, right? But here's the thing. That's a you problem. That's not the snake's problem. <laughs> you know, yeah. like they've yeah. had ten million years of eating fucking geckos. That's not you know, <laughs> yeah. And now you, in this two generation, one generation, two generation, whatever it is, have decided no, you need to eat this introduced species from Europe. You know, and yeah. if you won't, then you're defective. Uh, then you're fuck you. Yeah. That's a you. You're problem. gonna die. You know, like that's like, like me. That that's a keeper problem, man. That's that's oh. like sending me to the West Coast and then giving me a cheesesteak and telling me it's a cheesesteak and I'm going to tell you it's bullshit. Yeah. It's not a cheesesteak. Send it back, you know. <laughs> and you're right, gonna be I like, mean, oh, well, heck, dude, here in Colorado, you get a cheesesteak, you know, two blocks from my house, and it's like, oh, you know, what's the cheesesteak I like? Well, it's got it's covered in pork green chili. You know, if I gave right. you a cheesesteak covered in pork green chili, what would you say? You might right. say, hmm, that's tasty. But you might your your wife might say, oh, fuck that. That's not a cheesesteak. I'm not gonna eat it. I'm literally <laughs> right. not gonna eat it. That's exactly right. what the fuck is happening. Exactly. <laughs> Am I wrong? Yes. No. 100%. You might know that your wife says, Fuck that, that's not a cheesesteak. I ain't even gonna eat it. I won't touch that thing. That's a monstrosity. That's what we're talking about. That's yeah. literally what we're talking about. And then the the example says that's just totally untethered to what I'm I've spent 14 million years being used to, all of a sudden that, you know, should be cold? Oh, my God. Like, yeah. don't eat. Uh, you know what? You said, hey, he's, he came ready to go. I'm going to push him on his buttons. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. <laughs> we got 10 minutes, so I figured, you know, I'm going to poke the bear before I roll. Uh, the bear, you said, I, uh, you know, the bear came to play, so I'm going to poke him some more. Okay. That's Ooh, right. Uh, uh, no, I hear you. Oh, I mean, it, it is like, that's, that's exactly it, you know, and that, that is the one thing that I hear people say that drives me crazy where it's like, oh, these things, they, they don't eat this and that makes them somehow inferior or they shouldn't be worked with or whatever. And I sort of get that when you're talking about something that's many generations captured bread, but like mm-hmm. when we talk about domestication, the actual uh, animal husbandry definition for domestication is 50 generations. 
is if right. you're talking cows or dogs or pigs or any sort of our standard staple domesticated critters, mm-hmm. with 50 generations, maybe, maybe leopard geckos are getting to 50 generations because those you can short circuit and run on like an eight month. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we're in Bechtel, you know, running albino corns and stuff. We're not even to 50 on albino corn. Literally, the, the thing, right, that we conceive as, like, what's the domestic captured bred snake, albino corn snake, right? That, that certainly, I, I'm speaking for everyone, but I'm, you know, I should speak for myself. That's what I conceive as the domestic captured born snake. It, at best, we're just getting to what the industry conceives as actually domesticated critters. I get that they're different from... The problem is all our stuff, whether it's jungle carpets or whatever it is, stuff that we've had and we don't get new stuff and all these things, and we say, these are domesticated. I, I, I buy that. As always, it's shades of gray. Yes. Yes and no, right? Where that, That's sort of true, you know? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're not the same as an F1, you know, wild-caught to wild-caught critter. They're not the same. But... At the same time, they're not truly domesticated. They're not the same thing. You know, it's it's not this is entirely driven by captivity and we're completely changing things. No, we've changed things somewhere between 10% and 80%, you know, at this point, right? If it's an right. online corn thing, maybe it's 80%. We've changed it, you know. And right. so most of them will go for this. That still doesn't mean the things. The fact is it means our right. our mentality that says, no, this is what they do, or it's wrong, or we should exclude it or what. And even then, okay, fine, exclude it. That doesn't necessarily mean kill it. That means, okay, this has become a thing that we need to treat as, like, you're, leaning, you're heavily favoring your wild ancestry. You might be 80% domesticated, but that 20%, you feel that very strongly. You're, you're leaning that way and whatever. That doesn't mean I have to kill you. I can respect that and say, okay, this is a thing. And that's, as, shoot, you know, 40, 50 minutes ago, we hit on this where it's like we like to perceive things as one way or another. You're in camp A or camp B. You feed things, only mice, and you say, fuck everything else, or you feed, you know, whatever it takes to get it going, and you go down right. that route. And, you, and those things diverge. It doesn't need the critters aren't driving. That's our own limited perception that puts us into cabin A or cabin B. In reality, mm-hmm. you know, it's our responsibility to say, I'm going to try and drive toward cabin A, but if things don't go that way, I need to respect that cabin B exists and that, like, you know, if I'm choosing to ignore the, oh, actually, this thing is not a domestic critter, that, you know, mm-hmm. that there's some aspect of wild animal that has millions of years of evolution saying it needs to be this. If if I won't respect that, that's my choice, and I need to own that. And I guess that's always my take is just like I can be an ass. Just own it. You can be an ass. Just own it, you know. Sure. <laughs> there's something I want to say, yeah, but, you know, but it's just like just own it. To say no, I'm choosing to do that. It's not. It's not that I'm doing what needs to be done. It's mm-hmm. that I'm doing what needs to be done for the paradigm that views it as if it doesn't eat a mouse, then it's broken, right? Like that. 
I don't know. I feel like I'm way off reservation at this point, but you know that. Nah, man, I'm with you. I hope that makes sense. You know, where it's like you're you're making a choice. Just own your choice, man. I know you've been pitching that for seven or eight years. Where it's like, oh, I'll feed them to a blackhead if they don't. That's fine. Totally fine, man. I I respect that. But just say that. Don't claim it's something else. You don't don't hide the ball. You know, just say like, no. Right. You know, I think that I was, want yeah. things that feed on mice. And if they don't, then I'll feed them to a blackhead. That's fine. I, right. That's acceptable. You know, that, that's acceptable. And if someone doesn't right. find that acceptable, then guess what? They have their own problem. They need to come <laughs> and, you know, join, join yeah. the, the world that says things aren't A or B. They're some range between Right, you know, and then and then make that respect that. Not even they can do what they want, but they need to respect your choice. I think that's the one thing that like always got me with the cage debate, you know, thing was that you would never hear well on both sides of it, right? You'll never hear somebody in a rack that uses rack say, "Well, this is just because it's more efficient for space." I mean, let's be honest, (laughs) that's what it is, right? right? I mean, I mean, part of it is that you know, like. How can I get as many snakes as I can in this space? Okay, well, what's the minimum I can go to where it can be here? You know, and and some of it is too happy and do what it needs to do. Sure, right. Some of it is also you know like here is an extra tool in the toolbox that if I do have a problem with this, maybe we'll do more. Uh, it will be better for the snake humidity, seclusion, et cetera, et cetera, if you better. do it in a, yeah. in a tub. But on the cage side of it, it always comes to the whole, like, come on, man. You keep it in a cage because you want to look at it. That's what you want to do. And what's yeah. wrong with that? Like, wh- what's wrong with the fact that you want to walk? I mean, you walk into, just look at YouTube, right? You look at YouTube, you watch ball python breeders, and you walk into the room, and, like, the ball python, you know, mindset is racks all look tight, you know, they all look the same, and everything's the same. And, you know, you walk in, and you're just seeing yeah. gray tubs all over the place. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know? But wouldn't it be cooler to see the snake, you know? And it, it would, but, like, I guess that's why I say, like, you know, you have to do with the snake. Like, yeah, I want to see the snake, but if the Halmahera scrubs bashes its head against the glass every time I walk into the room, well, I got to do something or it's going to be dead. So what yeah. do I do? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then I'm going to be worried about what other people think or, you know, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's, you, you make a decision, you own it, you stand by it. It is what it is, you know, like, you know, I, I think that was a debate back when they were talking about not even if the snake wouldn't eat um, the whole idea of, you know, what are you going to do with these cross carpets and stuff like that and whatnot and just a normal mutt carpet. I mean, we're going back years where it's like, OK, I got this diamond yeah. jungle thing type of thing. And when you put it, uh, you know, against anything, yeah, it looks like a jungle carpet. Well, what do I do with that? You know, I wanted the jag, but I got this other thing, too. And like. Yeah. You know, well, you know, own the fact that, you know, well, I'm going to call it. Is that, you know, and then you, you can say all day long that you're going to give it as a pet or this or that or blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you're not really 
I mean, if you're honest, you're not really helping the problem. I mean, you know, that's the debate with the morph people. I mean, you have to be honest with the fact that you're going to have these carpet pythons out there that has really created a mess, you know, as far as what is my carpet python. I mean, that's the reality of it, you know. I mean, yeah, we got these awesome morphs, and I'm not knocking them at all, and I have tons of them, and I love them, and I think they're awesome. But I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't somehow affect, you know, pure line. I can, I can represent that. I, I just seen it. I seen it with an animal I produced, you know, and I know exactly what clutch it's from because I know exactly who I sold it to. And I know how that animal moved from one hand to another. And somehow it became a pure coastal. I'm like, Nope, Uh, that's not a pure coastal, but somehow it became it. (laughs) I'm like, I just scratched my head. I'm like, it's not even worth the fight, man. It's not even worth it. It is what it is. If that's what you think, then so be it. Because I'm going to come along and say that it's not that. And you're going to tell me what I bred, you know, and I'm, I just don't, I don't have time for it. Like, here's the records right here that say that that is clearly not what you're saying it is. I had somebody yeah. one time, they contacted me and said I bred, uh, I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it was sun glows or I don't know, something. And I'm like, dude, I've never produced a visual, you know, it yeah. wasn't sun glows because I did produce a visual one of those, but whatever it was, it was like, that no, was one I, of the ones I, that were neat. <laughs> I, I didn't produce that. I never produced it. Like, what are you talking sure. about? I'm like, it was the albino Darwin. Somebody was trying to sell yeah. one of the albino, sure, albino as a, an albino Darwin. I said, I've never produced albino Darwins ever. <laughs> I've never done it. So I've produced yeah. crosses, but I've never done a pure albino. Oh, really? This guy's saying that it's pure. I'm like, well, he didn't get it from me. Yeah, he said he got it from you. Well, then it's not pure, <laughs> you know? So yeah. so that's just an example of how, you know, you can do everything in your power to, to, to say and represent and all that stuff. And, you know, once it leaves your hands, you lose control. You don't have control over that anymore. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to get cut off in a minute. So, uh, people just need yeah. to be open-minded. <laughs> yeah, know, man. That, that's it. You know, you can, you can like, like what you like, be happy with what you like, and the rest of it doesn't. You know, you yeah, have happy, healthy snakes. Who cares? Right. Right. Exactly. Hundred percent. So, um. I guess I'll throw out real quick, uh, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Um, I'm not sure uh, the guest is not committed 100% to next week, but the week after that, we are going to do a genetic roundtable, and we got the heavy hitters for this episode. Uh, I was telling you before the show, we got Travis yeah. Wyman. We have uh, Nick, Nick Mutton. Uh, Justin, we have Ben, we have uh, Warren Booth. Um, it's going to be a heck of a show, man. So uh, if you have genetic questions, get them ready. Uh, but we're going to hit on all those uh, <laughs> all those crazy topics. And real quick, Rob, as soon as I hang up with you, I'm going to send you a picture of this IJ that, uh-huh. dude, you got to see this thing, man. You got to see.